just flew in from Garden City, and boy, are my arms tired. Yeah, yeah. I can't even find the fucking thing. It's uh, It's been a week. It's been a day. Yeah, you're back, and um, very... Well, yeah, we'll get into that. I have a lot to say. Didn't realize you were gone. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. I made quite an impression. Yeah, I'm sorry I interrupted your dinner. I was just... Um, I was coming back a little bit earlier. I was cruising. I took an alternate route home. <laughs> <laughs> Cruising in, was there a park nearby? No, but it was it was counterintuitive because I'm supposed to go east in the northern state. And one time my GPS was like, no, 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 go west. And I'm like, really west? But I'm trying to go, okay, I'll listen to you. And this time I did it. And yeah. it, Glen Cove Road and flip around. And, and it took you all around the back. Yes, just the through way the I back, like it. <laughs> through the back door, if you will. I will. <laughs> Thanks for letting me know. Okay, was that is that the funny part now? Can we begin? I don't know. It's up to other people mm-hmm. to determine the level of con- it's no. You're no Chris Rock. Let's no, put it that I'm way. no Chris Rock. Maybe you're more like a Will Smith. Maybe. Please don't slap me. <laughs> and we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. And I'm Mikey. And boy, do we have a show for you. Today on RMA, the recovery rock stars are back for another ground baking. <laughs> ground baking. <laughs> Shit. That's me the bong. Are back for another groundbreaking, paradigm-shifting, addiction recovery volcano of wisdom. <laughs> Kick up your feet, grab your favorite non-alcoholic beverage, and brace yourself as we discuss boundaries <laughs> and how to use them in a new edition of Get Smart with Aaron. Not to be outdone, one week late, the Big Three with SLP is back for a February wrap-up on the shortest month of the year's top three stories. All this and more today on a very special edition of what? R-M-A. Welcome back. Sorry I fucked up that read. And sorry, Grant, uh, that the Big Three with SLP is coming to your ear holes this week. Yes. It was supposed to come last week, but February has a weird number of days that- yep. Apparently, fucked up. Yeah, we could call it the. Wait a minute, late no, three. March. It's the March. See, no. What month is it? It's March. This is March. Yes. Tomorrow. Tomorrow's April. This is coming out tomorrow oh, yeah. in the new month. So that's what I meant to say. March. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can get an idea. Your intro is all like volcanoes and bracing yourself and uh, <laughs> coming in through the back door. And, t- like you got something on your mind. I am trying to gin up some excitement. Okay. Or perhaps there is none. Do you know what we have to do now? What's that? We have to thank our Patreon members. Yeah, let's do it. We should thank them for uh, supporting the show because we are a listener-supported podcast and we rely on donations from listeners like you to keep the show on the air, to keep Nat and I in the basement together. That's right. (laughs) And, uh, you know, to keep producing the interviews, the news, and the content that you... uh, you've come to expect the high standards that you have for us. And we try to meet them every week and it's becoming increasingly difficult with work schedules and so forth. So it would be 
Great if we could. Um, and we also have a box of shirts we haven't made off yet. That's right. So there's that. And uh, I forgot about the shirts. Yeah, somebody should buy a shirt. Anyway, so I guess we can say that the episode is brought to you by yes. the supporters in the Recovery in the Middle Ages Patreon. And we have a new one. I wanted to thank. It, yeah. Okay. Anita. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. There you go. Thank you, Anita. Thank you. Uh, I thought we it. had two, but one person. Yeah, went Alex. Out and came back. So and Alex. Right. Um, and Alex. Right. So in case you're not familiar with Patreon. Uh, if you've not been listening the last few weeks, we're, we're apparently more than one person has not been listening yes. the last couple of weeks. It's Numbers are down, folks. Tell your friends. <laughs> so um, Patreon is a members-only subscription service. So you throw us a couple of bucks a month, and then we let you into the vault with all the goodies. Mm-hmm. You get uh, the, the biggest uh, goodie. I mean, you get a mug or a sticker or whatever, depending on what level you come in at. But in my mind, the biggest advantage is that you get access to the private Discord server. And it's, um, it's a place where monsters can hang out and talk about books, recovery movies, mm-hmm. or just any books or any movies. Uh, people are usually around in the morning to get you, your day off to a yeah. good start. We got a good morning thread. We've got a show discussion thread. Yeah. You know, exercise. Right. If you, and if you find yourself at like a work conference, staring down a couple of drinks, you can always yeah. just pop on there and get some moral support. <clears throat> I mean, you can get that on the Facebook page too. But uh, it's a good group in there, and I think yeah. I think you guys would really really enjoy it. Yeah, it's growing, and we're talking about doing our uh, you know our, our recovery meeting just for the the inner sanctum guys on top of the Sunday recovery meetings that we do. Right. Because it is growing. And uh, the more members that we have on Patreon, the easier it is for me to justify doing this to my wife. <laughs> what are you doing to your wife? What am- <laughs> no, sorry, it's a horrible question. Yeah. Not much, but yeah. um, <laughs> Jesus, I you started. I don't know. It seemed just- like the you you just set them up and I hit them out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So yes, please please join us there. It'd be fun. Yes. So in order to join us there, you would go to patreon.com slash forward slash. I don't think there's a backward slash anymore, right? Recovery in the Middle Ages. So patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages to learn more and sign up. I have something to say. This is the time that you usually say that thing. Welcome to all the monsters listening stateside around the world, down the street, across the table, and right next door. Welcome all. Settle in, buckle up, and get ready for excitement, comedy, tragedy, intrigue, tragedy. mystery, and so much more. Where can they find us? Mike. Uh, MiddleAgesRecovery.com. That's our website. If you guys, those of you who are, um, who are too young to, under, to know what that is, uh, it's a place on the internet where we have our things. We keep our things. It's a series of tubes. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. You can also go to the Podbean and the Apple Podcasts and the Spotify and all those other places. YouTube. Um, and you know we need to we need to throw a couple videos up on YouTube because the show is there, but no videos. Yeah. You know what we got to start doing? We got to start videotaping the show. I would love to. Yeah. Did I have to put on makeup? I mean, I don't really pay attention to my image here. Yeah, it's fine. Just wear a clean shirt. Mm. Um, I can do that. Yeah. So if you hang out with us, uh, you where are they hanging out with us that they get show updates and meeting other monsters? Uh, that? that would Facebook? be on the Facebook yeah. group. There's a private Facebook group where you sign up and we let you in. Is about s- close to 600 people. And that's uh, all free of charge, but it is monitored and there's discussion on there. And I'll post a monsters speak. There are funny there. memes. Funny memes. I posted a funny meme. Yes. Yesterday. Mike's funny memes. Yes. And so forth. Um, you can also join our recovery support and Munster hangout 
Never mind. That's what we, I just said. We also have weekly RMA recovery meetings chaired by the great G Money Smooth and the lovely and talented Aaron on alternate weeks or as they are able to uh, fit it into their busy schedule. If you're having trouble finding it, you can email me at mikear at middleagesrecovery.com for details. I've been getting a few listener emails. I think I sent you one, but yeah. I, I have a couple other short ones. But. Yeah, it's a great meeting too. If you're kind of like turned off by AANA, everything A, this is more of a discussion-based group. It yes. is. We do not close the meeting with the Lord's Prayer, nor the Serenity Prayer, right? nor any other prayer. No. Um, it's really just topic-based discussion. Is there crosstalk? I mean, this is actually a big... There's uh, very little crosstalk. No, but it's, but it's, it's usually, not rigid. It's also small enough that yeah. it's fine. People yeah. can, you know, we can talk. It come one, come all. It's all are accepted. If you smoke a little weed to stay clean, that's fine. You know, I'd rather you not show up drunk, but if you have to, you know, we just want to talk. Yeah, that would be entertaining. Yeah. So <laughs> please, that used to, please I've do. happened a dozen times to me over the years yeah. going to AA, and it's it always puts you in this spot. You're like, you know, this guy is drunk at an AA meeting, but then you're like, well, where else should he go? You know, right, this is right. the perfect place for that, uh, but it's also awkward and you're triggering, but... Anyway, you can show up drunk, it's fine, but please don't. <laughs> it's basically like an asshole-free zone, because everybody in there is, is very chill and cool. Yeah, we've worked very hard at keeping the assholes out of this uh, scenario. Okay. And it's worked. It's worked. Um, you, also, we love to hear your stories. Uh, you Well, okay. First, let's talk about the great reviews that we have that are going to be read on the air. Yes. Yes. You can leave us one on the Apple Podcast app. Maybe there's a way to do it on Spotify, but I don't know. I only use Spotify to listen to all Grateful Dead shows. Yeah, and the Kind of Me record, K-Y-N-D-U-V-M-E. No, that's right. It's streaming on, streaming on Spotify. It's my band that's, that opens the show. That opens the show and closes the show. Yes, sir. Yes. Um, throw us a five-star review while you're there. Help others find uh, the podcast through search. Because when you leave the five-star review, we claw our way up the ladder of... Uh, Results, yeah. search results, and we, and we want to end up on the front page. Because I was typing in, just before the show, I was typing in to find the review. I was typing in recovery, and I was hoping to see in the Middle Ages, and I did not see it. I had no. to write recovery in the, and then it There it up. is. Or uh, a di- I think addiction recovery podcasts were up there. What if I'm, right. But, no. yeah. Not, I don't know. Oh, it, so I was on um, Audible, right? Yes. Last week, mm-hmm. and I was looking at books to download, to listen to. And it said, podcasts that we recommend that you might be interested in. And one of them was Recovery in the Middle Ages. They must know you. it's your podcast. I don't think so. It's like You should listen to your podcast. Amazon you? and Apple don't no, they talk. Don't, they don't connect. So, um, yeah, I was, I was happy to see that. Yeah, it's growing. So we got a review. I'll read it. Five stars? It's a short one, of course. Great. It's the only kind we read. No, actually, didn't we read the one star ones? Yeah, the one that didn't we make do any have sense? a one star. Okay. Um, it's from, oh, it's from Meg P. It may be, the Meg yeah, P? it may be. Let's see. It says, favorite show. Yes. Five stars. I look forward to the show every week. Mike and Nat are relatable and funny. I love that they have a trauma-informed approach to recovery. I learn something every week. That's news to me. Do we have a trauma? Do we have a trauma? Inf- I, I mean, I like that. I mean, I think we've been traumatizing our listeners for about <laughs> two years now. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we've been a little more into trauma since we reviewed Gabor Mate's uh, mm. book, and it's kind of, trauma has always been sort of there. Like, don't ask why all the drugs, ask why all the pain. It's true. I mean, I know- Dr. I, Mate. Yes, right. 
Okay. Um, tell us your story. Also, you can log into middleagesrecovery.com and fill out the Your Story form. Although, does that work again? I don't know. So email me at micar at middleagesrecovery.com. I'm having trouble finding out where that's being submitted to. Or <laughs> Since we redesigned it and my this, designer in Cal- Calcutta doesn't write me back. <laughs> this is a homespun podcast. Extremely. Our, our folksy ways and our, and our, and our homemade uh, audio. And it may be a home. It's a home in, in Calcutta, India, but yes, it's a home. Our, our Indian friend has, has he gone on the lamb? He's on, he's on the goat. <laughs> he's <laughs> <laughs> shit. Uh, you're firing on all cylinders today. Yeah, uh, the other way you cylinders. can right. leave us, if you, if you have a, f- a flair for the dramatic, you can call us and leave a, it would be great if you could act out all the characters in your personal story and then leave that message on the RMA hotline. <laughs> Five one six eight 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 six two nine seven. I promise you, we're not both stoned. I don't know why we're in this uh, mood today. I'm just happy to see you. Leave us a message, uh, and you got to leave it. You have to do this acting business in three minutes, okay? Uh, or else you get cut off. Um, yes, I did. So we need to. <laughs> we need to issue a correction from last week's show. Nat, would you read the correction, please? Uh. <laughs> Liz B is not fucking single, goddammit. She's just an <laughs> she's just unhappy and and that's not funny. No, she's, it's not. No. She is not single. And um I apologize, Liz, for um for characterizing you as a single lady. Um I guess what did we say? She was out having fun as a single like we, we just didn't... Uh, and you made some comment, like, I think we misread her, um, the thing that she, her comment that she posted, ah. and it came across as though she was um, lonely as a single person. Right, but, yeah, so sorry. You, know, you can be lonely in a relationship too, I guess is, is the point, right? The only and reason I... you can I, feel lonely yeah, in a relationship. Maybe can. not all the time, but sometimes you can. No, right? and I'm not making light of that, uh, Liz. It's just the way that I put it on the outline is yes. kind of hilarious. Uh, maybe um, we'll post a picture I put it. it in all caps <laughs> with like a hundred exclamation points. That's why I, I made you read it. Right. Because <laughs> I wanted to remind Mike that we needed to <laughs> issue this correction. So yes. sorry about that. We had another correction we were supposed to issue a week a couple of weeks earlier. We just keep mischaracterizing mm. our fans. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, so where are we at? Should we... Oh, I know. It's time for The Big Three with SLP. Nat and Mike, thank you once again for giving me space on your podcast. To everyone else, thank you for indulging me for about the next 13 minutes here. I'm Grant Boykin with Sober Linings Playbook, and I'm back with another edition of Take 3 with SLP. Take 3 is an end-of-the-month summary of three stories I've been following as I compile the Wednesday weekly addiction and recovery news clips. You can find those news clips at SoberLiningsPlaybook.com, where you'll also find a written version of this segment with, the, with links to the articles and resources I mentioned here. So what's on tap for this month? First is an update on the Purdue Pharma bankruptcy proceedings in the Sacklers. Second is details on the Biden administration's plans to address the opioid epidemic and substance use disorders. And finally, a look at research on alternative pathways to recovery, including non-abstinent recovery. But first, 
I think it's, it's almost not possible to talk about the news these days without at least acknowledging the biggest story in the news, and that's the Ukraine. So as I thought about this segment, I thought, do I have anything wise or poignant to share? Not really, <laughs> but I do have a story. Back in the spring of 1991, in the waning months of the Soviet Union, I was a student in Budapest, Hungary, and I was invited to the city of Lviv in far western Ukraine. And I was invited to participate in what I was told was the first public Passover Seder dinner to be held in Lviv since before World War II. Around the table that night, I remember people expressing a lot of uncertainty about the economy, about the future of this newly sovereign nation, but also lots of hope about what the future could bring. Kind of like the story of the Exodus, the journey from bondage to liberty that Passover commemorates, and kind of like recovery. The people I shared that evening with had been through their own journey of liberation. They'd been through so much over the years, and they had hope. Most of us can only watch from a distance as the war in Ukraine unfolds. We can't control what happens. But as we watch with concern and compassion, let's also remember to have hope. All right, first story, Purdue Pharma bankruptcy. Back in December, it looked like the parties were really close to a settlement, but it fell through and the, everyone went back to the negotiating table. A new deal was reached March 9th between the company and the attorneys general from eight states and the District of Columbia, who had appealed the original settlement. Under the new deal, the Sacklers would pay between $5.5 and $6 billion to a trust that will be used to pay the claims of states, victims of addiction, hospitals, and others who have been harmed by OxyContin. The Sacklers have also agreed to several important provisions. One is that they'll give up control of the company. Purdue Pharma will become a public trust corporation called NOAA Pharma, that's K-N-O-A, which will contribute future profits toward the addiction crisis. The Sacklers also agreed to issue an apology, that's huge, they haven't done that before, and to release more company documents. And finally, the family agreed not to resist attempts to remove the Sackler name from buildings. One of the unresolved issues is that the Sacklers' payment is contingent on making sure they can't be sued in the future, but a federal judge ruled in December that immunity from future civil liability falls outside the bankrupt court's authority. Purdue is currently appealing that decision. If the Sackler, even if the Sacklers do win on that front, they're still not immune from criminal prosecution, and some are pressuring the U.S. Department of Justice to pursue criminal charges. We'll stay tuned to see if that actually happens. It seems unlikely, as, as much as Purdue's actions over the years seem criminal to most of us, I'm sure it's difficult to prove criminal liability in court. The day after the settlement was approved, victims had the opportunity to testify in, video, in a video conference hearing the Sacklers were required to attend. If you want more information on this, listen to the March 11th Dopey Podcast, where author and activist Ryan Hampton gives his take on the settlement and on the bankruptcy proceedings. Ryan Hampton is a victim who managed to get a spot on the creditors committee for the bankruptcy proceedings. So he's got an insider perspective. He also wrote a book recently on the topic called Unsettled. All right, moving on to number two, the Biden administration's plans to address the substance use disorder and opioid epidemic. Um, a couple weeks ago on RMA, Nat and Mike mentioned that President Biden, in his State of the State address, 
discussed his administration's plans to address addiction and the overdose ep- epidemic. So I thought I'd provide a few details on that. One caveat, though, all of my details come from a fact sheet. So it's pretty high level, and it's from the White House. So it's the administration's own talking points about their $40 billion plan. I just don't have the time to do much independent research. So first thing I want to say is I think it's always important to look at, there's no better way to look at a government's priorities than to look at the budgets and where the dollars are aimed. So on the fact sheet, if you look at the $40 billion mentioned, a total of $23.5 billion is slated for public health type approaches to reduce drug use and its consequences, and another $17.5 billion to reduce the supply. So that's the law enforcement side of things. So if you're keeping score, that's about 57% for public health versus 43% for law enforcement to engage in the whack-a-mole effort of reducing supply. In terms of what the money will actually be spent on, the fact sheet lists three categories. The first two fall under that public health bucket. The first one is removing barriers to treatment, and this largely has to do with making it easier to prescribe medication-assisted treatments such as buprenorphine, I got it right, for opioid use disorder, um, making it easier for doctors to prescribe, uh, sorry, that was a note there that I didn't mean to read, extending COVID rules for prescribing medication-assisted treatment via telehealth, developing recommendations for emergency rooms to provide care to overdose victims and connect patients with support, and expanding medication-assisted treatment in the federal prison system. So that was the first one, removing barriers to treatment, largely MAT, medication-assisted treatment. Second one, reducing harm and saving lives, the harm reduction prong. This includes federal funds for things like syringe exchanges, purchasing of fentanyl test strips, and the distribution of naloxone or Narcan to reverse overdoses. Also, one of the bullet points listed under this category is convening a steering committee of people with lived experience to provide guidance and input on future harm reduction efforts. And finally, working with the states and local communities to elevate harm reduction best practices. And the third bucket is the stopping trafficking of illicit drugs, and that's largely funds to combat organized crime and engage in enhanced data sharing among law enforcement agencies. All right, moving on to story number three, non-abstinent recovery, which can also be called recovery beyond abstinence. In last week's RMA episode, one of the things that guest Evan Haynes discussed was how to define success in recovery and the importance of looking at factors beyond abstinence. Let me back up there. If you haven't already listened to that episode of RMA, go back and listen to the one with Evan Haynes. He wrote a book called Can America Recover? He runs a treatment program called Oral Recovery in Southern California, sunny Southern California, if you listen to Dopey. Um, Take a look at that episode. It was very interesting. Makes me want to read the book. But anyway, there was a point in the discussion where there was talk about what is recovery and how do we define success. And I thought that was very apropos because recovery beyond abstinence is the focus of my recent SLP Insights interview with the University of New Mexico psychology professor, Dr. Katie Witkowitz. You can read it at soberliningsplaybook.com. Never miss an opportunity to plug your own stuff. 
In addition to Katie Witkowitz's work on the role of mindfulness in substance and alcohol use disorder treatment, her research also focuses on non-abstinent recovery. Some of the key points Witkowitz and her co-authors um, and, and colleagues make, one is that we need a definition of recovery that is broader than abstinence. A person can be not drinking or not using and still be miserable. For that reason, she argues we need better measures of success in recovery, measures that look at how well a person is fulfilling work and family responsibilities, their relationships with others. Are they achieving what she calls a life worth living? The United States Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration, SAMHSA's definition, which does not mention abstinence at all, defines recovery as, quote, a process of change through which individuals improve their health and wellness, live a self-directed life, and strive to reach their full potential. A second point that Wickowitz makes is that the treatment industry's emphasis on abstinence keeps people from seeking help. Many people who could benefit from treatment are not interested in completely giving up or drinking or drug use. The one thing that they've come to view as the solution to life's problems, and the one thing that abstinence, which is a condition to most treatment programs. Wickowitz also makes the case that research has not shed adequate light on alternative recovery pathways because researchers may be shining that light in the wrong direction. By focusing on people in professional treatment and 12-step mutual help programs, the research doesn't capture the experiences of many who recover through different means. Wickowitz and her authors point out, her co-authors point out, for example, that over 70% of problem, of what they call problem resolutions with alcohol, occur outside the context of treatment. For people who recover without formal treatment, a return to low-risk drinking is a more common outcome. And, quote, individuals with more severe alcohol use disorder appear to practice some degree of self-selection into treatment and may require more change attempts before achieving stable change, unquote. So in summary, what Wickwitz is saying is that alternative pathways to recovery, including those that involve some level of continued use, may be more common than we think, but relatively unknown because the research focuses too narrowly on people with more severe alcohol use disorders who are more likely to end up in treatment programs, which almost universally emphasizes abstinence. Now, in the, the work that I just cited there, I talked about alcohol a lot. That's because Witkowitz's work focuses largely on alcohol, but she has done some work on cocaine use disorders, for example. And in the interview that's on SoberLiningsPlaybook.com, we get into that and we talk a little bit about whether non-abstinent recovery from other substances is something that researchers have looked at. And yes, they have. So in summary, I often wonder whether I might have asked for help earlier or achieved abstinence sooner if I had been aware of treatment alternatives that didn't require abstinence. I mean, maybe not. Maybe that wouldn't have been a good thing for me. Um, <clears throat> but I think it would have been more appealing, and I might have started my journey sooner. And wouldn't it be a better business model for the treatment industry to open their doors to the larger population of people who want help? but who do not necessarily want to give up drinking or using entirely. I mean, obviously the idea that someone can be in recovery and still drinking or using at some level is undoubtedly and understandably controversial. But as someone who has decided abstinence is right for me, 
I still think there's a lot of value in looking at the research evidence on multiple pathways to recovery, particularly if doing so will lead to ultimately helping a larger segment of the population who could benefit from treatment. And that, my friends, is Take 3 with SLP. I'll be back next month. Until then, be well, Mugsters, and stay tuned. Or the way things are going around here, it'll show up sometime later this month. Uh, to find uh, more, to hear more from Grant, go to SoberLiningsPlaybook.com. Uh, you can read the uh, big three there, and there's also his uh, weekly news aggregation of stories uh, or aggregation of news stories pertaining to recovery. Um, Nat, what is up next? I think it's... Uh, Monsters speak, speaks. By the power of recovery, I call on you, Monsters speak. That is amazing. <laughs> It is amazing. Um, do you like it? I do. I, that was sent in by a fan because he was trying to do the, um, uh, whatchamacallit, the- uh, He-Man. Ma- He-Man. He-Man Masters of the Universe. So thank you for that. Who is it that sent it? Uh, that was Kyle. Thank you, Kyle. Kyle sent that in. Yes. Now, thank you. As much as I love that, I feel like I still have to hear the monsters speak, like the main one. I feel like everyone's going to- Gonna, uh, Are they going to write to us and I say- I think they may write to us if, if we don't. So- um, Yes. What did they have to let's take a peek? The segment we call Monsters Speak. Awesome. Thank you. Thank before you. before we go on, yes. Um, I just had a great idea. Oh. You know your song that's the show begins? Yes. Maybe the Monsters should try and do a cover version of that and it, send it to us. That would be Interesting. It would be impossible if, but you could, if, if you could somehow pull that off. Well, send I'd, it on, send it to us. I'd love a piano. Oh, what happened to Julie Keys? I haven't heard from her in yeah, a while. I haven't heard from her. Julie Keys, if you're out there, I'd like a piano reduction of the <laughs> intro song. Um, so we have Monster Speak, and um, this one I put out there on the Inner Sanctum discussion group, and uh, our one of our newer. Monsters actually uh, posted this question. I thought it was perfect. And AKA David says, just throwing it out there, the topic of discussion and a little Seinfeld quip quote, what's the deal with telling people you don't drink anymore? Uh, Why is it hard for some to proclaim that they no longer drink? Um, Yeah. And uh, we had it. Is it hard? I guess it is hard. Yeah. Like like you, you were um, a little bit, you know, put off like, oh, now what am I going to do? Like, yeah, how am I going to tell these yeah. people? I'll get it. I'll get into that. But um, y- yeah. So Edgeworth, uh, 08, who's also a new newer um, monster on there, says, "My best tactic would be to avoid people at all costs." <laughs> that was basically my strategy for the for the duration of the pandemic. But unfortunately, it works for a bit. But at some point, you have to leave your house. You must leave the the cave and and going to interact with them. Because if you're just going to stay in your house, you may as well just keep drinking. Right. But having said that, you know, what I always advise people early in recovery is, you know, it's don't okay. Don't Yeah, don't keep drinking, yeah. but it's okay to not go out and torture yourself yes. with your friends. Right. You know, you're like, oh, my friends are at bars. How am I going to, you know, just don't go to bars. Don't go to the bar. Take a year. I know it sounds like a long time, but it's not. Um, and uh, you just don't go out and you work on your recovery. So when you finally do get ready to go be social you've got a little bit more under your belt that's really hard though yeah if you, especially if you're on the younger side and, and you're all of your social 
social life revolves around the bar and the drinking. It's yeah. really hard because you get very lonely. I Everybody think, else uh, is out on a Friday night having a great time and you're sitting there yeah. in your jammies watching uh, Bad Vegan on Netflix. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, um, like especially Ryan who recently got out of rehab, I know he's having a, a tricky time out there because, you know, he's young. He's got single friends and, you know, it's hard to change everything all at once. Yeah. I, I tell people is, you know, if you slip or whatever, you just start over. You just keep working on it if that's what you want. Gen D? You know what? I, it's just, I'm going to drop a quick ah, yeah. wisdom nugget. Um, a whiz bomb. From my, from my trip. The one thing I noticed that, you know, I was, I was at this conference with a bunch of people that I've known and I've been at this conference with every year for 15 years. So I've known these people for 15 years. That's a long-ass time, man. It is a long-ass time. But something that I noticed is while I was out with them, and they were drinking and I was not, uh, in most circumstances, like they didn't treat me any differently. Yeah. And I didn't treat them any differently. You know, I, I, I exited when when things started being repeated and so forth. Yeah. But, um, you know, but I wouldn't have done that in the first six months of sobriety. That's for sure. Are you looking at last week's outline? Why is last week's outline here? Just to fuck with you. Jesus. <laughs> Just put it on the couch. Get rid of it. Anyway, uh, so Jen, uh, you want to read it? No, you're, you're on. Okay. Uh, Jen D says, uh, same as above. In other words, avoid people at all costs. But when that isn't possible, I just get something non-alcoholic to drink. If someone asks why, I'll simply say that I'm not drinking anymore. Most people don't question further. On the rare occasion that they push the issue, I tell them that I used to drink too much and I feel so much better now that I'm not. Uh, Maybe next time I'm in that situation, I'll tell them to give it a try. So far, I've left uh, out the part about it ruining my life and my brain getting uh, pickled. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Jen. That's good. Melissa M. says, I like Mike's script. Quote, I did a 30-day challenge and felt so great, I never went back. Yeah. That's what you said? No. I mean... That was one of your little... Yeah, it was one of them. Shtickles. Yeah. It's good like, to have like a, a library, a lexicon of... I like that one. Say. I kind of used that down there along with a few other things. Uh, Corey W. says, uh, depends on the crowd. Sometimes I say something like, I've already drank enough to kill a small village, so I just don't drink anymore. Or I just say... I don't drink. And if they ask why, I say, none of your fucking business. <laughs> I don't say that, but sometimes I want to. Yeah, Corey, right. if you knew him, you know he wouldn't say that. To uh, your face, anyway. Ali P says, uh, I think I'm going to start people start telling people I'm pregnant. 50 and pregnant. What? That's uh, <laughs> that's a good way to shut people up. There are some funny responses yeah. to that that I didn't put on. People like, I'm going to do that. Like, I think Edgeworth had it wrote something like, I'm going to try that one too. And I was thinking, like, I'm just going to tell people I'm pregnant. Yeah. Um, speaking of Edgeworth eight, he says, uh, the only people I've talked to, I've just straight up told I don't drink. And that was that. I think I'll wait a bit to tell my family, maybe at the next holiday gathering, but I think with them, I'll be more open and honest about it. That's good. I had an aunt go to rehab last year and was open with us about it. And I'm lucky to have an understanding family. Yep. Uh, with anyone else I've been thinking of using, uh, the, the quote, I stopped drinking for a bit and now I feel so good. I don't want to anymore. That's the one. Yeah. That's the one to use. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like those. Um, oh, and AKA David, one of our new guys. 
he got this in last minute. He's like, is it too late? And I said, no. He says, uh, I haven't had too much trouble sharing that I'm a non-drinker with folks that are in my social or familial bubble, even coworkers. The time the anxiety hits a bit is when going on dates. The ever so fun, what do you feel like drinking question in the past has caused an I'll be right back. I'm going to use the restroom as I head straight for the restaurant restaurant's front door. Mm. The stigma of a non-drinker could create thoughts of, I don't want to be involved with someone who's got issues or this guy's going to be boring immediately. Now, in any type of situation, my focus on abstinence is just one of the first things I divulge about myself just to get it out of the way. Heck, sometimes it instills a conversation and uh, can be a really interesting icebreaker. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Um, for me, what I've learned in the past four and a half years of being sober is that the sooner I get this thing out, it's like anything, you know, the more you wait and things are simmering, it gets more anxiety and then you start yes. to lie or, or, you know, uh, withhold, you know, facts about yourself. Well, and you it get just your, gets harder. You get inside your own head and then it be, you blow it up into this enormous thing inside your head. And yeah. most people, uh, who was it? Who said that quote that most people, would realize how little other people thought of them, you know, they'd be shocked or something like yeah, that. Yeah, people you know? don't care, you know, sometimes. I mean, I, I'm going to tell a little story, you know, yeah. in the Life Update where I had a situation, but um, yeah, for the most part, that's true. Um, and then, you know, Mike, I wrote, what did you do at the Worky Jerky? I don't know what I was thinking of there. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, you're going to talk about your work trip anyway, but I thought if you had a quick, like, example of how you uh, put that fire out before it started. I'm going to, I'm going to pass on that until okay. we get, cause, cause if I, if I, when I get out the whole narrative, I'll work that out. Gotcha. Okay. And now it's time for an email from the inner sanctum from Tim. <laughs> Do you want to read it? Sure. Okay. I keep looking for sound effects that, you know, I need like a, okay. Say that again. Uh, and now for an email from the Inner Sanctum. <laughs> so sorry, wrong one. All right. Uh, hello, Mike and Nat. I just discovered your podcast via Google search for a podcast for fathers. There seems to be a lot of great resources on this subject for women uh, or conversations led by women. That is true. There's a lot of female sobriety out there, and that's it's good. It's I'm good, in touch strong. with my feminine side. Yeah. That's why I'm so sober. Right. Okay. That's why I'm crossing my legs. I, <laughs> I don't know. We really should videotape yeah. this podcast. Uh, I have two wonderful and very demanding little humans, three years old. I have two wonderful and demanding little humans, three years old and 18 months. I didn't plan fatherhood, and I didn't think I even wanted it, but beat birth control twice, so I suppose it was a message <laughs> from on high that this is the life I'm going to lead. It, I guess... It beat birth control twice? Is that what that means? It he got sli- around it? He slipped a couple past the goalie, if we're talking Seinfeld. All right. Um, what's important that is that I adore them and I am grateful for their influence on me because I'm here seeking answers versus drowning myself sober. My wife and I are going to keep working on things. I respect and love her that we have challenges with how things ramped up so quickly for us, but we want to do it together if we can. I certainly understand and am sympathetic to folks who get divorced. This is a tough gig. I have downloaded and used the Reframe app since 122121. You know that one? The Reframe app? No. Mm. Uh, It's a great resource. However, I have yet to achieve any sort of sobriety. I have logged my drinking through and am at 40 to 55 drinks a week, which is terrifying. 
terrifying because it feels normal and I can operate under those conditions. Let me think about that. So if I used to drink like seven point, pints a night, and I would drink like six or seven, six nights of the week, six nights of the week, I would, yeah, I was kind of in that neighborhood, maybe a little shy of that. Uh, my drink of choice is beer. I could drink an IPA with my cereal. <laughs> that, I've ne- that I never did. Yeah, and I have an extensive whiskey collection. I have hid behind the hobby of it. Very easy to prioritize uh, alcohol and beer and whiskey culture. Yes, indeed. Um, I got sucked into the wine culture myself. And, and then, of course, was the uh, the craft beer thing came out, right? And that was uh, that, that became like a good oh, yeah. excuse to, to drink oh, beer and swill it around. and all, the, yeah. yeah, pretend like it's wine. Or pairing beer with food yeah. and all that kind of shit. Uh, I'm also a pothead. Uh, neither of which I can seem to control or regulate. Uh, I'm not honest with my wife and people around me with how much I drink, and I'm seemingly able to hide it. Huh. Uh, I had a very dark moment yesterday. I woke up very irritable and angry, just feeling off. I was cold and dismissive around the house, checking my boxes, clean this, pick up that, work in the spare moments, but I wasn't pleasant. I ordered a four-pack of IPA to be delivered to the house. I wonder where he lives. Uh, it came and I snuck it in the house and pounded them. I felt, uh, that buzz, they could be a fun dad. It took off the alcohol induced edge from the day before. Uh, you know, that's an interesting, the, the daddy beer culture, Mm. very similar to the mommy wine culture. Yes. You know? Oh yeah. Um, after a very tough bedtime with the three-year-old, I went for a walk, AKA to a bar, uh, to eat nachos and drink more. The 18-month-old woke up screaming for one reason or another, and I went in to help her. I ended up snapping at my wife and being very shitty to her. She finished the night on the couch, and I passed out angrily, feeling that I was right and circling all sorts of negative shit I wanted to say to her as I drifted off. I woke up this morning realizing, one, I don't even remember everything clearly, and two, scared as fuck about how I handled the day. Alcohol has been a problem for a while, but this being angry is new territory. I don't want to walk this path. For further context, I have a very demanding B2B sales job carrying the highest quota in a 200-person sales org. I have a passion and drive for music. want to be an accomplished jazz and classical guitarist. P.S. Love that you two play. I have two remarkable arch tops and a great classical instrument. If you want to see pics, let me know. I do. Uh, In addition to the complications, alcohol causes my health. I'm a solid 40 to 50 pounds overweight, and I feel like shit. And family, I am incredibly frustrated and harboring a lot of uh, negative feelings towards myself. Um... I'm only 32 years old. I cannot waste my life away like this. I cannot let my marriage fall apart and live with that regret. I cannot waste time not practicing. I want to be the best at what I do. I want to achieve high marks. I want to be a person. I'm proud of and be the person taking steps forward for my family. Thank you for reading. I'll be listening to your podcast today. I'm going to hit the gym and I'm not going to fucking drink. Tim. Tim, thank you for writing. Man, uh, I feel you. I feel you. I'm reading this and um, I see and remember myself in these very same scenarios and i've also seen it many times before in friends of mine who are caught up in this um drinking cycle and it comes part of your coping mechanisms and part of your daily functioning and nothing brings you to your knees quite like having a baby Mm. uh and putting you in a scenario like when there's no children it's a lot easier to kind of I don't know, coast through these moments where you're not, you know, you're not feeling great. But when you have a baby screaming with, you know, whose ass you need to wipe, mm-hmm. it it just brings it to a new level of realization that like, I can't do this hungover or wasted because you're putting your child in danger. You're, you're, 
you know, making yourself miserable. And then the guilt you feel the next day, the self-loathing, the inability to, to get what you want out of life. And it's really all, not all, but a lot of it is because of the, uh, the drinking. It is holding you back, um, especially when you want to be a musician and you're working a full-time job. To have those moments of inspiration where you feel good and you can like take five minutes to pick up your guitar and do some scale studies or whatever you want to do. Um, yeah, I, I really, really hope uh, you send me pictures of your guitars and that you stop drinking. Um, any way we can help you, buddy, um, I'm here for you. Please reach out again. And Tim, you're 32 years old. Don't don't put yourself in the position where you're writing you're writing a letter like this to the podcast hosts 10 years in the future because it's very easy for a decade to slip away. Yeah. And, you know, it happened to me. Time accelerates um, yeah, when you get a, kids. Not only that, but, you know, when you're drinking every night and you're half in the bag at night and hung over in the morning, every morning, time just rockets by. Um, and you're not making any progress. You're just going to be spinning your wheels. Um, you know, I, I think, I know you can do it, you know, but... You have to stop doing the one thing so you can do all the other things. Yeah, well said. Right. So yeah, reach out. I mean, he's on the the Discord server. Tell us, tell us how you're doing. You know, keep up to date with. Yeah, us. even if even if you you know it, we're all about progress, not perfection. So even if you are not a hundred percent, you know, get in there on the Discord server and talk to us anyway. You know, yeah, keep, see, keep, we're here to help. See if you can cut back ten percent. You know, do yeah. that for a couple of days and twenty percent. You know, so you know, thank you, Tim, for that. Um, if you quit. If, if you don't drink for a week out of the month, that's like 25% more not drinking than you did last month. Yeah, see if we could take a dry week, but I know it's dangerous to stop mm-hmm. drinking uh, off the bat. But. If you think that you need help detoxing, then see a medical professional. 100%. We're um, not... Um, and that's the legal team speaking. Yeah, that's the legal... Sorry, I got a frog in my throat, but we're not Mishka. So we... <laughs> right, right, We right. will advise you to see see a physician if you think that you need to, Okay. Um, moving on to our life update, update, update. Why can't we have music for that one? Um, we can. Why don't you write something? You're the musician. Yeah. You have an album out. You're true. I just sit it's and play album. Neil Young songs in the living room, but you are a musician. Allegedly. A real one. Allegedly. Right. Um, you had a work trip. I think you're, you're bursting at the seams to report on exactly what happened, how it happened. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. And why it happened. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> so... So you went on a work trip. This okay. is the first one back after a long time. It's your. Let me frame it for the audience. Okay. You haven't seen these people uh, in this context context since you got sober. So you're going back. It's first time, and you're nervous because you don't know how this uh, not drinking thing is going to go. Right. Right. Okay. And what happened? Well, little more context. Uh, this meeting occurs in the industry I'm in every year, and I've gone to it for the last. For 13 years, okay, two years off for COVID, right? So I've known these people a long time, mm-hmm. you know. I've spent many hours bending the elbow with them, yes. you know, at these uh, these affairs. 12-ounce so, curls, as we call it. It's just, there's, it really, I used to look forward to going to them because it was basically like open season alcoholism. You yeah. just, you show up and you drink 
And then you you can roll into breakfast hungover, and everybody else is just as banged up. Yeah, or at least that's what I thought. That's what you thought. <laughs> that's yeah. what I thought. Um, so you you get there in the day one. There's a welcome reception, and you have to go to that. And then the next day, you have a full day of program, and then there's a evening reception. And then the final day, you take a party of people out to dinner. And before that, there's a happy hour. So let's just say there's a lot of potential failure points for the the newly minted sober person who's going through anything. Right? I, I would have had a a much dicier time of this had I had to go during COVID, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I went down there and I was kind of wondering if I could just play it off, like stand there with my, with my seltzer water, with a, with a, with a thing of lime in it and just take a couple sips and have nobody ask. Can I know? ask a question yes. before you go on? Is, are these people you're meeting more like colleagues or more like clients? They are, uh, or is it both? they're both. Okay. But and, and not clients difference. in the sense of the word. I mean, it's it's complicated business relationship. But suffice it to say that nobody needs to like glad hand me, and I don't have to do this. <laughs> continue our, <laughs> and I don't have to do it to them either. Thankfully, so speaking of trauma, yeah. um, because we've known each other for so long, the business relationships are well established. So right. there's no. You know, I need to hang out with this guy for a business reason. It's really just a social... Yes, you sort of gravitate to the people in this crowd that you've known for a long time because you like hanging out with them. Right. And I do like these people, you know. Um, But I had a very strange experience. I I go down to the first reception. Oh, by the way, I made it through the airport in the airplane. No problem. Never a problem for me, especially if I'm flying in the morning. I I just... It doesn't even register on me. But Mm -hmm. I get there and and then I check into my room and I'm heading downstairs to kind of... Uh, I had to go for a walk and buy, buy something at the drugstore and I see a bunch of guys coming back from golf that I know and they're all shit-faced already. Right. And I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be this is going to be a little more navigating than than I thought. Mm. So I go down to the reception, I get a seltzer water with a um, twist of lime. The bartender makes some kind of a snide comment. Really? Yeah, he was like, oh, you're hitting it heavy tonight, huh? Oh. You know, one of those deals. And I'm like, I just didn't say anything. So I took my drink. <laughs> Thanks, and, Dick. Um, and I'm walking around and nobody's asking what I'm drinking because, you know, this is like the exciting moment where you see people you haven't seen for two years. So if people are drinking, you know, they're not talking about what they're drinking, right? Because there's still things to talk about. Right. I circle around by one of the windows and I see this this attorney that I've worked with that I play, used to play golf with when I used to play golf at these things. Oh, you played golf? I did. Uh, very poorly. Yes. Um, although I thought I played a lot better when I was drinking. But anyway, I used to play with this guy from New Orleans. He's, um, he used to play for, um, not LSU. What's the other big school down there? I don't know. Some, one of the monsters will let me know. It's a, um, big guy, but he weighed like 280, 290 pounds. He's six foot five, whatever. But he looked like he lost like 80 pounds and he was all like, you know, just kind of bright eyed and bushy tailed. Mm. And he had played golf, but, and, and he was the one of the guys that I saw by the elevator, but we get to talking and I'm like, you look great, man. What happened? And, and he goes, what uh, happened? <laughs> well, you know, because it's a big, it was a big noticeable change right. and I wasn't the only one commenting. On oh, that. you used to be so fat and ugly and now you look fantastic. <laughs> and he goes, uh, well, I, you know, you know, I watch him what I eat and he's like, oh, and I quit drinking. Boom. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm like, this guy quit drinking? This New Orleans party football player? Lawyer quit drinking. Wow! Like I, I was, I couldn't believe it. It floored me. So you got. So I confidence. immediately said, "Me too." Nice. <laughs> yeah, it just popped out, right? Yeah. And uh, so we're talking a little bit more about stuff, and then he goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." He's like, "You ever hear of a book? Uh, 
called uh, This Naked Mind no by shit. Annie Grace. Wow. And I was like, father fucker. The I was Annie like, Grace I, marketing machine strikes again. And he was, you know, he, he's like, yeah, you know, once I realized, you know, all the shit that alcohol was doing to me and, you know, how I didn't need it to have good life and have fun stuff. He's like, that was it for me. Wow. It was done. He's like, I wasn't going to any AA or 12 step. And I said, that's exactly what happened to me, you know? Yeah. And then we were starting to get into a deeper conversation, but then people came over and we kind of turned it yeah, off, yeah. you know, because there's no sense in like, you know. Yeah, yeah, just make people uncomfortable yeah. or confused. But I can't tell you how empowering it was yeah. that first night to kind of meet somebody who had gone through the same thing at roughly the same time. His sober date and mine are like a month apart. Huh. And, uh, you know, there he is. And, and he has to do an awful lot of client uh, development work and stuff in New Orleans, yeah, which is not like a dry city. You know what I mean? Like no, there's the, a lot of, you know, just think about what goes on there. You yeah, know, Mardi a, Gras, Jazz Fest, all that stuff. There's a thriving vampire community, actually. Yes. I saw a documentary. Yeah, that about too. In New Orleans. We went on a tour, a haunted New Orleans tour. Did we you learn there. about the vampires? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're around. Yeah, they're around. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, so that just, I made a decision at that point that I was just going to tell everybody that I quit drinking. Like if it, if it, if it came up, like, what are you drinking or what can I get you to drink? I'm my answer is going to be, I stopped drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Just and I, bam. And I did it. I did it to everybody. I ran, I took off all my clothes and I ran through the reception going, I quit <laughs> drinking. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. But, uh, yet, but I did do that. And, um, most people just sort of met it with a shrug. Like, They're Oh, like, okay. Mm, you know, more for me. And you know, because I'm, I used to think I was a riot when I was drunk, but I'm. I'm People like, are just relieved. They're like, "Oh, thank God, this fucking guy." <laughs> well, yeah, I, I didn't get much of that either. But it was it was kind of like my my comedic timing was better. Yeah, and I so my I was hitting jokes that I would not have hit in the past. You definitely do better. Yeah, when when I'm sober, yeah. definitely hitting those. Uh, so that was interesting, and but so. That was great. And then, the, so uh, that was day one. And then day two, I'm heading out to the, the real boozy reception. Uh, this is a boozier reception because it's longer. You had two boozy receptions yes. according to the documents. Yes, here. I did. Um, uh, and a dinner and a happy hour. But I'm, I'm not going to go through every single one. But mm. what's noteworthy about the second night is my boss texted me because I, I finished the day. Uh, and most people, a lot of people go to the bar and start drinking before the reception. That's just kind of the way these things go. But I said, um, I didn't tell anybody anything. I just slipped out and I went for a walk in, in Savannah because it's a be- gorgeous city. It's, it's incredibly historic. It's beautiful. I, there was a couple of things I wanted to check out. There's an old Revolutionary War cemetery right near the hotel. And, you know, uh, the, the cathedral is down the block. I wanted to check that out. Uh, but I get a text like 10 minutes into my walk, like, oh, we're going over to the... Uh, you know, the hotel next door, they have a roof bar and we're going to get a couple of drinks before uh, the reception. You should come. Now, this is my boss. So it's not like, I'm not going to be like, no. Yeah. Yes, you know, I, I guess I could have said no, but, but I, you know what I said? Uh, uh, I said, yes. But I was thinking to myself, what a great opportunity I have to tell, tell him, him that I quit drinking. Yes. I was so excited to do it. So I go up there, you know, like, I, I, like I have like a, a big secret, like a yes, yes. share. And, uh, you know, they, gay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, well, what do you want to drink? And I was like, uh, you know, seltzer water with lime, by the way, that night I drank nine of those. Wow. Seltzer waters with lime. You should slow I woke, down. Yeah. I no. was just farting all night. It, <laughs> it makes you it was, fart. It was ridiculous. Huh. Anyway, sorry. Uh, so I told him and he was, um, 
Yeah, just like, okay. You know, he was surprised because I'd never, my drinking never really impacted my work. Right, he was not like, know? oh, thank God, now he's finally going to yeah. work well. He's just sort of like, oh, interesting. Yeah, but, you know, I was, I was there with him and another coworker and and, a, and a, somebody that does solicit work from our company and that I've also known for a very long period of time. And, um, yeah, it wasn't a big deal for them. Um, you know, we go to the reception afterwards and... That's when things started to get weird because mm. open bar, three levels, yeah. you know, yeah. people start really hitting it hard. And there's some people that, you know, um, I it seemed to me that people went one of two ways during the pandemic. They either got their shit together yeah. or they let their shit completely fall apart. And both of those things were on evidence, yeah. you know, at this work conference. Yeah, I've I thought that. people overall more thoughtful, more considered. Mm. A lot of people seemed more grounded. That's really you interesting. Know, which I wasn't um, expecting. But I guess, you know, people had lots of varieties of experience during the pandemic. But um, so I, t- I tried to sort of stay away from the people that were obviously really shit-faced because I had really nothing to talk to them about. But there were a couple of people uh, who, you know, I told them, oh, I'm not drinking anymore when they asked what I was drinking. And they were like... They went for the old, yeah, you know, I don't drink during the week and I only drink at these things. And, you know, I know a couple people who quit and da, da, da. And, you know, I know what that, what's going on there. You know, it's like people who are questioning their own shit, you know, and you could see it. And and they were usually the two, two guys that actually I had that conversation with were both very drunk at the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's when they really start questioning, well, what am I doing? And and they look at you sometimes too. And they're like, huh? Cause you're their peer. They see you as your peer. And they're like, and they probably were remembering, Oh, I can always, you know, Michael always uh, throw one back with me. And, Mm -hmm. and there you are. And they're thinking, Hmm, if he is not doing it and that other guy isn't doing it, what am I doing? Yeah. You know, that's great. Last observation was, um, well, I always assumed that everybody was drinking a lot at these things. Um, it wasn't as many people. Uh, many people were not as many people as I remember. You mm. know what I mean? So yeah. I, I, I think your memory gets the same thing at the Jethro Tolls yeah. show. Even you know, it's not nearly as ubiquitous as we remember. Right? Not everybody is as fucked up. Right? Because that's just a lie we tell ourselves. Yeah. You know, oh, everybody was doing yeah. it anyway. So I survived. I had some support from the monsters in the Discord community. Yeah, and uh, and you too. Yes, you checked in on me of a few course. times, and I appreciate that. I'm always checking in. Yeah, but uh, tandem sponsor. What I what I do realize is I, there's an, I don't go out for after after reception drinks with anybody, and you know if I last to the end of the reception, it's only because it's mandated for work. Like yeah, because by that point everybody's intoxicated. See, I, and I don't be, want to talk to drunk people. I would be fine. Like I've found that in my recovery, I'm like better when I, and I'll tell you just in a, in a minute about the experience I had. I feel like when I'm in that scenario, I feel like I rise to the occasion because I get amped up about it and I think about it and I plan for it. And so it's just like you getting excited to talk to your boss. I'm the same way, like for this party I went to over the weekend. I, I'm ready mm. for it. What I would worry about were I in your shoes yes. is the five hours you spent in the airport waiting, the time alone in your hotel room when you didn't go to that party. You're alone in a hotel room. Who's going to know? You know, that for me, I'm just saying for me, that's mm. that would be my danger zone. 
Um, yeah, I can't. Interesting. I mean, to me, I would just feel like that's such a self-deception, you know, like I, I, I don't know. I, I, for me, it's, uh, although I will say many years of this conference, I would buy a bottle of wine and drink half of it or more than half of it in my hotel room before I went downstairs to get the first drink because I always had anxiety about talking to so many people. Yeah. But yeah. that seems to have like abated somewhat. Yeah, well, you've replaced it with this excitement that you have. And um, Aaron is actually waiting in the um, in the Zencaster room. We've got the a, green room. Oh, the green room. We've got a um, get smart with Aaron uh, to record. I had a ton of shit to go over for my life update, mm. but I think I may forego it. It's nothing that important. I had a I'll, maybe I'll quickly tell you that um, I'll bullet point it. Noah signed up for acting lessons. Oh. That's going to be That's cool. awesome. And I was really excited about that because I really want him. And Noah's my 11-year-old son, for those of you who are new listeners. And uh, he's not a sports kid, but he he needs, I think he needs that team spirit, that working with others, the expression that you get from acting. Right. You know, it's a bit of a commitment. It's a nine week. So I'm very excited that he's, He's keyed into that. The other big thing I wanted to mention was, uh, so uh, my younger son, Max, who's seven. Yes. Um, we're just starting to get to know his friend's parents. Uh-huh. And it's sort of like an important thing, as you remember. Sure. Uh, to really, you know, get these relationships with the other parents. And so there's a period of time that's kind of awkward where you're like dating. Mm-hmm. You're, you're meeting these new couples. You see who you jive with. And my wife's been doing a lot more of that than I have. So she knows some of these people and they are pretty cool and everything, but they don't know me that well. They knew me from the store, but you know, I, I put on a schlocky uh, face for that and everything. Right. But uh, so this was a 40th birthday party at a fancy restaurant. Um, yeah, I hear that. And um, so uh, Go ahead. It, it was, a, it was this big 40. It was a surprise birthday party. These people I don't know that well. It was a big drinking party uh, type of thing. And, um, and I had to be on my game. Like, oh, here I go. I'm meeting these people for the first time. Yeah. And uh, it's a drinking situation. And so I had to, and it was one of these things where like the shots are coming out on a tray. Right. We had our own little room there. And, um, you know, it got to a point. Shots on the tray. That's a that's a kind of drinking that um, I they don't even do at the conferences. <laughs> it was shots in the tray, and one of the guys, um, one of the guys who w- was like a, a husband, who was the fireman, showed up wasted. Showed up wasted. Fucking blasted off his ass, like reminded wow. me of college, and um, and uh, and he was just like off his face. And uh, the wife kept giving him like dirty looks and everyone else who was drinking. And I just kept refusing drinks a couple of times. Right. I had Was anybody just... obnoxious about it? So just the drunk guy, but he got a dragon. Just right. wasted lewd comments, you know, um, inappropriate sexual pantomimes, like slapping his wife's ass and triggering. But she was the one that kept ordering drinks for him. Oh. So it was very strange. That's a dynamic that and, is uh, odd, right? It was weird, you know, and she and it was all of this like, well, well, he's a fireman and he is at a fireman function today, so he's been drinking all day. But a lot of it was um, was really, uh, you know, kind of 
making making up for it, like saying, oh, it's okay. But it was really weird and awkward. And she, at some point, I had two instances where I was telling, I had to tell somebody, you know, that I didn't drink or mm. why, because I kept ordering, you know, what I had a couple of Shirley Temples and then I was drinking water, <laughs> you know, but I was engaging with everyone. But the, with the wife of the drunk fireman actually asked me, she's like, so you just don't like drinking or, and I said, no, 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 I, I don't drink at all. She said, oh, and she got this look of recognition. She goes, well, like never. And I said, no, I'm in the no matter what club. Right. And as soon as That's I good. said that, she kind of nodded and looked over at her husband who was just like, <laughs> ah, and that was it. And, um, you think she wanted her husband in that club? Um, I think so. I think it's, is she, does she put him back too? Yeah, but she wasn't wasted, you know, cause right. she had to, but you could tell she was pissed at him, but she was also very understanding at the same time. Yeah. I don't know well, if she was making excuses because it was embarrassing. Yeah. Like the other men and women were drinking and doing shots, but nobody was quite that wrecked. Yeah. Um, yeah. in any case, so I got through that and, um, I felt good, good about it. I'm and glad you some got of those through people that. were very, uh, were very cool and, and I appreciated it. Um, so with that, I think I'm going to, I didn't really have much else anyway. And, uh, let's get to, uh, get smart with Aaron. Are, are we like tuned into the, apparently I can hear Aaron like in the, uh, in the green room or something, but I have to, does she hear us? We don't have music for Aaron's thing? It's, I put it in later. Oh, what is it? Oh, yeah, that's right. Aaron, are you there? Now I am. Yes. I okay. sure. I texted you. I was afraid I would mess up your recording if I went in there on the wrong time. No, I think it's good. Yeah, we're, we're still figuring this one out. Oh, I got to move my chair so everyone can see my beautiful face. Yes, yes. I see there's a video at, like option but jesus christ i didn't know that <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to do that oh there we go <laughs> um it, it's do you up want to turn you on your you light want. uh how do you do that i'll do it as it, long as it doesn't go on the on the internet you can you can see my face <laughs> you're looking good all right oh well thanks i'm actually uh yeah it was one of those days where my job requires me to be on a lot of video calls. So most days, even though I don't leave the house to work, I, I try to wear makeup, but I didn't have any video calls today. So I didn't. Well, I didn't wear any makeup either. So don't worry. Well, you should. <laughs> yeah. We're makeup free as well. Put on a little base. Come on. Just under the My eyes. My mom always told me, put on a little lipstick. Everything's fine. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Would it kill you to put on a little lipstick? Jesus. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I wrote a little thing. Oh, good. It's Get Smart with Erin. Erin has extensive experience working in recovery and is herself in recovery. Today, Erin joins us to discuss codependency and how setting boundaries is about our behavior, not theirs. How was that? Uh, That was pretty good. Yeah. All right. It's more work on this than than I've done. So (laughs) So. full disclosure, this was all Erin's idea because we were like, what are we going to do? We got to get Erin on. And uh, and she came up with this topic. And um, this is great. Yeah. Have you been? I yeah. feel like we haven't talked to you in a while. I know, I know. Um, yeah, I uh, I've been good. I have a job that is remote, so I'm at home all the time. But uh, I let this topic comes up for me a lot because it's I work with um, the allies of people in recovery, oh, so cool. their support system, you know, and like Al-Anon. Yeah, kind of like that. Um, and I'm like a one-on-one. You know, I I offer them family education about 
about addiction, uh, you know, about boundaries and, and codependency and, you know, so I'm like immersed in this topic all the time at this point. That's great. I mean, ba- boundaries is something that I'm, I've been thinking about a lot recently and I've been, you know, cause this is one of my big problems, but I feel like, I don't know why we haven't like touched on it more earlier, but this is definitely, these things come up like cyclically, I feel like. Um, well, you know, I will say that as someone that um, has darkened the door of many an AA meeting, uh, <laughs> codependency and Al-Anon is sort of a bad word um, in recovery. And I, I can tell you my theory about why that is. And I think it's because we need the codependence in our life. Even when we're sober, it's very hard if they start setting boundaries that we don't like. Well, let, let's set a, a, a foundation here. What exactly is codependency? Uh-huh. Oh my God. What is uh, well, I'm sorry. It's not a test. <laughs> I don't know the definition, but I'll tell you. Um, it's like an enmeshment. Uh, generally it's, you know, I don't, I don't know what the Webster's dictionary definition is, but I will tell you that they're more of a, a thing, a, f- a feeling than what you can put into words, right? Boundaries. But it's unhealthy. It's like it's, codependency sounds like it has negative connotations. So it would be like an unhealthy enmeshment. With another individual, right? It's two people that uh, in, that have a relationship that's unhealthy like because... Your happiness each- depends on their happiness, right. maybe. Okay. So so you're getting your validation, your happiness, your all this other stuff from the other person. And if you don't get it, it's a problem. And they're getting it from you at the same time? Or is it a is it run one way? Well, I think, you know, I the, I the way that I was able to kind of quantify it in that way was like, you know, co implies there are two things, right? Co right. worker, co chair, uh, co president of, you know, RMA, like whatever. <laughs> Comorbidity. <Yeah. laughs> Comorbidity. That's something that goes along with. So it's, it's a, it's a, a system more than, you know, a relationship necessarily. Uh, it's, it's, it, it does run both ways. Because, you know, uh, when we think about when we were at our unhealthiest, there was usually someone covering for us in some way. Okay. So you someone know? will f- who, who will facilitate your continued use of drugs or alcohol, even though it's clearly not what's best for you because it meets some emotional need or that they have. Like they're loving you. To be put you. in a position where they, um, where you are dependent on them, right? Yeah. They're loving you to death. Oh, okay. You like that? Yeah, yeah. I got that from intervention. Well, yeah, and you see that a lot in families, you know, I mean, there are all kinds of di- types of dysfunctional families, but we talk mostly about, you know, families in recovery. And so, I don't know. I just think that we oftentimes could use a little more boundary work. You mm. know, that should be like part of a, <laughs> some curriculum in school, learning when to say no and that no is a complete sentence. Yes, I love that one. No is a complete but capitalism, sentence. you know, kind of thrives on, on, on that, right? Or, or want to do well, mm-hmm. you know. So a boundary is a line that you draw. I mean, I know like what a boundary is like in, you know, countries and, and uh, borders and so forth. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a line that you draw to prevent someone from taking advantage of you or to prevent um, 
someone from I can abusing you up. in some way? I can clear this up. We so. all have personal boundaries. Ah, okay, thank you. <laughs> often thought of as our, quote, comfort zone. These are limits we set for ourselves that define our self-worth and values to protect ah. us emotionally and physically. Okay. Ideally, we respect the boundaries of others as we expect others to respect our boundaries. I got that from some article that I can't remember where. Hmm. But I liked it. Does well, it- I like that. I mean, Melody Beatty is one of the, you know, most renowned, I guess, uh, codependency authors out there. Um, and her, you know, her materials are used in Al-Anon groups and, you know, they don't have a lot of their own literature, but she's sort of an uh, Al-Anon approved author. Um, and, you know, I think that it used to be, we thought, you know, with boundaries, like I used to be like, okay, I'm setting a boundary, Nate, uh, now because I'm telling you, I don't even know your name today, (laughs) because I'm telling you that you can't talk to me that way. Okay. That's not really a boundary. Cause I, I mean, yes, you can like, right. But but you were, you're not going to stand for it. Right. Well, right. What does that mean? Right. So the boundary lies in what, if I say, I don't want to be talked to that way. Right and someone continues to, usually if I've really set a boundary, I've let them know I'm not going to remain in a conversation where this is the tone or where, you know, whatever, whatever our, you know, expectation is. Um, The boundary is me following through on whatever I, I said that would happen next. That's really what boundaries come down to. But we they're so, it's so nebulous when you, when you ask someone if they have good boundaries, what does that mean? You know, how right. do quantify that? That's why I'm trying to sort of figure out my definitions because the whole thing seems pretty squirrely to me because, you know, <laughs> d- different, you know, you set different boundaries depending on who the, the people are. At right, sometimes, but there's certain right? things because, you just won't do yes. or shouldn't do. Like I won't engage in abusive dialogue with my, you know, coworkers. Like I won't accept being spoken to or being told, you know what I mean? Like under no, any I get, circumstances. I get that. But, you know, if you're having a heated family argument and, and some stuff comes out, well, with your coworker, you'd say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to engage with you during, you know, while you're calling me these names. Maybe with somebody with that you have a different nature of a relationship with, you might maybe you will, well, you could, or you might engage <laughs> with them a little further to see if you can get beyond that. Mm. Um, you know, and I, and I think either, either approach is valid, but I think you have to have a sense of self presence and self-worth to know where your boundaries can move depending on who you're talking to. Or is it the case that if you have a boundary that you say, I am not going to engage in a conversation with someone that's going to belittle or insult me, you should keep that boundary, whether it's a member of your family, whether it's a mentally ill person on the street, mm. or whether it's a coworker. So consistent boundaries, regardless of who you're speaking with. Well, right. Isn't consistency the key? You both have children, right? There were certain things that you had to threaten or promise if they continued to whatever, splash water all over, you know, every time or when they're in the bath or, or whatever it is, you know, I mean, we've kind of let them know, like, if you do this and it's why setting in, um, doable boundaries is really the most important thing. Right. Cause if I tell my kid, they can't use electronics for a week. Yeah. That's impossible. <laughs> well, right. Like maybe I, maybe like, maybe I'm screwing myself by doing that, you know, right. but I have to follow through. You're right. We have I'm like, Oh, I got to follow through. So I've gone to really setting boundaries that I have no problem 
you know, uh, actually following through on. And that does start the consistency because the first time that someone is able to get over on something, right. I mean, and not really even in a negative sense, but just like kids are going to test boundaries, but yeah, I mean, it's in at work. I see this all the time. The more I pay attention to this, the more I see it popping up in my life. And part of it is just being aware of it helps, helps me to, you know, be on top of it a little bit. But as soon as, even if you unknowingly, like you said, allow, like, just for example, this, uh, the, like the person, the guy that owns the company that I work for now, like accepting phone calls after work hours is me letting a boundary down that perhaps once I do it, uh, you know, um, then I've allowed it. Even though I didn't expressly say, yes, you may call me at any time. I've now opened that up and I may be uncomfortable with that. And so now what do I do? So by getting in front of those boundaries, um, I think that's important. Um, I read in this article that I think is an interesting point. Uh, that uh, this person talks about a healthy self-image. And uh, she says, because a healthy self-image is a key to recovery, setting boundaries and limits is crucial to the recovering addict. Um, so be, it's this self-image thing, self-worth. Like when I feel like I don't respect myself when I was active or even after, I may not think I deserve these kinds of boundaries. Well, and you know, I... I just think that the most important thing is to define, you know, our values that kind of sets forth what our boundaries are going to be. You know, what do I value? If I value my time appropriately, then I've, you know, have to make some decisions about where I put that time and where I spend that time, right? That time is valuable. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just to kind of define like, hey, I like having peace or I like having you know, it, it kind of sets the tone for, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to maybe at some point just stop adding chaos to my life by having people in it that just don't work, you yeah. know, and not being able to accept like acceptance is, you know, really the biggest thing in like boundary work and, and dealing with codependency, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I just think that um, if you look at some of the writers, I kind of go a different direction, right? If you look at mm-hmm. some of the writers uh, of of codependency literature, like Melody Beatty, um, you know, she was somebody who was actually an addict in recovery. And um, after she started to get herself sober, you know, she start realized that she still wasn't very happy because she still had this addiction to whatever her relationship with her mother was. Right. Mm. Um, you know, and, and that's really what codependency is. I think it is a co-occurring, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't call it a disease, right. I'm not going to go that far, but I, I definitely think it's a, it's a very, some kind of sickness of the soul, you know, that really kind of eats away at us when we have these, you know, transactional relationships mm-hmm. that are not, you know, that are not really, we don't share the same values. Well, I, I think a lot of the issues that people have with boundary setting, especially people who have a history with substance abuse disorders, is it comes right out of childhood and the way they were raised themselves and childhood trauma, right? Because I know I have a really hard time saying no. Uh, Me too. I, I, it's almost impossible. And as a result, I'm, I find myself running around doing a billion things that I'm... and 
that I, I don't have the time for. But to me, the idea of like disappointing someone or saying no to them is like terrifying. Mm-hmm. And that factors in quite well, you know, as I, as I look at it a little bit with my narcissistic mother and, and how no matter what her expectations were, no matter what I did, I was never able to, to meet them. So, you know, I, I think you can, you can trace a lot of this stuff back to, to your childhood. No. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, that's where we learn how to to have any relationships in our lives from the people that are raising us. And if we had, you know, I had a very similar experience where, you know, my mother was in that narcissistic category and I, you know, I mean, she, I joke about, she used to say, just put on a little lipstick and mm-hmm. if it looks good. It's good. You know, that was kind of her deal. But, um, you know, I can see that that feeling of never feeling like I'm enough is why I overschedule. It is why I procrastinate. Mm-hmm. Um, self-sabotage, like all that shit that comes with being, you know, even in the workplace for, um, you know, someone in recovery. And then we feel sometimes like we owe this debt that we can never pay. Mm. I think yeah. that's what they call living amends. Yes. <laughs> endless amends. Yeah. Endless, endless, you know, cause we, we have had that history. And so it makes us feel like we have to do more just to be worthy even because of that. Oh, I live with that every single day. I've talked about this before. I always feel like I'm catching up or making up or, you know, everything I do. And the reason I'm, you know, doing dishes at 7am and, you know, just trying to, I'm trying to be more than I am because I was so disappointed with who I was. And it's like, yeah. how do you, how do you help some, like one of your clients or whoever you're working with, how do you get them to kind of start to set these healthy boundaries, you know, without severing relationships, you know, but it's got to yeah. be a very delicate process. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, just go no contact with somebody, you know, right. but uh, I understand the complications of that because I could do that. I had to do that with my mother for certain periods of time, you know, um, in my adult life, (laughs) but uh, you know, how do you, I mean, really what it comes down to is what are your values, you know, is the way that you relate, um, taking something from you, you know, what, like where, you know, where are you lost? Where is it that you haven't taken even the time for like that circle of self, you know, the physical, spiritual, um, all of that, you know, I mean, it just comes down to, um, you know, kind of deciding like, you know, what things that happen between us take something from me, you know, and the only way to change that, the way that we relate or that issue is really to define this, to even say this is an issue. You have to get it out. We often don't show people where the boundaries are, but they're never meeting them because we don't really know. You know, we're not really. You keep, if you keep moving them and you have no fixed boundary to, to put there, people are going to walk over them all the time. But I, but I think in order for you to be able to have the capacity to set healthy boundaries, you have to sort of start pull at that thread and sort of untangle the, the, the childhood stuff um, get into, get into a therapeutic relationship maybe, or, or if you, or if you have the insight through meditation or whatever to, to just sort of find out where that's coming from, you know, because I never really spent much time thinking about it. I just figure well, that's the way I am. I'm, I overschedule, I do all this shit and that's just me, you know, but I mean, every, every, there, there's a reason, you know, that we are the way we are, you know, and, and I think you can't begin to sort of change that unless you understand where you're coming from. Hmm. Is that yeah, trauma informed? S- it might be. Yeah. 
Maybe. I mean, it could be, you know, uh, I don't know. Um, you know, I would say that a lot of the clients I work with, which my my side of that is the family of the person that's in this treatment program. Um, you know, I I have to, you know, talk to them about various things and almost inevitably they uh, you know, almost inevitably, really, they go back and they'll say something about their childhood where one of their parents was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these are, you know, this isn't by accident. This is, the, you know, how people gravitate, people that have that soul wound and the people that want to take. Yeah, they always blame the, even my dad, you said that. And I just remembered, like, I, I like me setting boundaries with my father. Um, he He's a very critical, um, but he does it in a very... Um, he sneaks it in. He's not overtly like offensive. He does it yeah. in a very passive aggressive way, but I've been very sensitive to it in, in my recovery. And I've been trying to lovingly call him on it and be like, dad, you know, could you just say, you know, Hey, how are you? You know, do you have to comment on my weight? Like no matter what I weigh, if I'm skinny, like I am now, or if I put on weight, it's always yeah. a comment. It's always not good enough. And when I say something to him and I do it lovingly as I can, uh, because I'm not trying to pick a fight, but you he son, of a, he, bitch, son of a bitch, how dare you, you fuck alone, <laughs> asshole. But if I was in my seventies, I'd be like, I'm the way I fucking am. Yeah. <laughs> but even even in his seventies, he goes, Yeah, well that's oh, my mother will always say, Well, that's how his mother was. You remember Edna May. Mm-hmm. She was this way, you know. It's this excuse and I and I would say to mom, I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like he's a grown man. He should. Right. At at adulthood is when, you know, I stopped taking responsibility for the way I raised my children. Mm. Yeah. You know, Um, everything after they became of age and had their own wherewithal to make their own appointments and shit like that, their healing was on them. You know, I did have to take a look at my relationships because, um, you know, I've had a lot of instances where I've had to. Um, allow even my adult children to set boundaries with me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and that's tell hard me to about, do. And it's hard to be on the receiving end of that when they're like, hey, you always do this thing and you're thinking, oh shit, have I done this their whole childhood? And for me, it's making jokes at inappropriate times a lot of times. Mm-hmm. You? Um, well, because I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. You're and so I, proper. It's always because I'm so deeply uncomfortable with whatever <laughs> is, you know, so I get even weirder and have the, you know, even the darker humor, but sometimes my coping mechanism made my kids feel belittled. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's, but it's such a, um, it's a result I think of your recovery work that you can be aware of that and kind of adjust yourself to that. I don't know that people not doing this kind of, and not even recovery, just doing, you know, work on themselves and paying attention to like, well, what's my role and whatever my issue is. Yeah. Well, let's face it. I mean, mean, you don't have to go to Alan on, you don't have to do like codependency specific work. The idea of what we even, you know, I promote like in my professional uh, life is that if you keep working on yourself and they keep working on themselves, you know, everybody's recovery is their own. Um, then what you bring to the table is healthier, mm-hmm. you know, because collectively, like people want to recover together and be, you know, even that has to be done sort of in a separate way. So there, you don't have to sit down and be like, I'm going to go to Allen on three days a week. Um, you can just work on yourself in every other way with that circle of self and fulfill all your own needs so that your need that you're, you know, 
expressing to have sort of this fixation with another person is fulfilled. You also have to, you also have to be open to the possibility that the other people in your life are not interested in resolving issues with you. You have to be okay with that. In my case with my mother, it's yeah. easy. It's easier because she is dead. <laughs> so right, mine I, too. So I, she I, doesn't say shit. Right. right. It's, you, it's, know? you know, I can resolve the, you win the argument issues. Every time. Right. I know. I don't get the, the drunken calls on Sunday night anymore that you, you know, get, would paralyze me for uh, oh. insomnia for all night long. But you just gave um, me anxiety thinking about that. Seeing my, <laughs> and now it makes me sad now because I do miss my mother too, yeah, but yeah. she was a complicated person and seeing a phone call, like I have phone phobia today because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if someone just calls me out of nowhere and I don't know why they're calling, like, no, no, state your purpose. Like, <laughs> what do you, you want know? with me? And that comes from getting these weird, unpredictable phone calls from my mother. Wow. Yeah. I, you know? I, I do wonder though, like if, if a person who has not done any of that sort of, I mean, first of all, like who does, who else sits around thinking about shit like this other than people who have su- struggled with substance abuse disorder? Or- self-obsessed assholes? <laughs> I can't imagine. Well, right. I mean, you know, maybe we're all narcissists. We just don't realize it. But I mean, I think we, uh, the general population who, who has, has not really been forced to stop and take a look at what's motivating certain aspects of their behavior uh, is not really sitting there thinking, I need to draw a boundary here because th- this thing is happening there, right? I mean, right, we, right. we've had probably collectively more therapy as, you know, ex-addicts and alcohol abusers than, than the population at large Most has ever had. people have their whole life. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. so I like to think that that, you know, sometimes I like to think that gives us an advantage yeah, in how we're, we're getting moving better. through life, you know? But I, I also wonder, like, what come? It's like a chicken and an egg thing to me. Like, can I set a healthy boundary if I don't even really understand what all that means? You know, I mean, can I, or do I need to be in a place where I'm together in my head and then I can set appropriate boundaries? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know which because I can yeah. just fake it. I guess you fake it till you make it. You, mm. you know, but yeah, you're like, do I sit down and draw up my like contract of boundaries with all the people in my life? You know, am I gonna? Yeah, you know, probably <laughs> not. But no. in different areas, I can just even if it's me saying no to something that I know if it doesn't benefit my kids or someone in my you know immediate circle, I don't have to do it. Um, I, I can actually say no and I don't have to explain myself. Yeah. Mm. I love saying no, you know, because just like, just like Mike, you love it. I say, I you love to it. say no. I, I love it <laughs> because it. it's almost like it's yeah, something that's going a little far. Matt. It's something I, I, I know I need to do, but I'm bad at it. So when I finally put myself in a situation where I go, no, I, I can't do that or not even explain it. I pat myself on the back. I like to do that. I'm going to pull a muscle patting myself on the back. <laughs> oh, my and, God. Uh, yeah, I'm pulling a muscle cringing right now. <laughs> I, I, I love it. I love to say no. But so now what do healthy but, boundaries look like? What a, the basis of healthy boundaries is respect uh, for oneself and for others. From that springs the ability for a recovering addict to take responsibility for his or her words and actions. Healthy boundaries include feeling safe to express feelings in a calm, assertive manner and to stand firm, even if others don't agree. Healthy boundaries mean maintaining personal values, being yourself and not bending 
uh, to who others think you should be. Oh, I'm fucked, man. But what do <laughs> what do unhealthy <laughs> boundaries like look whole, like? like yeah, I know. Totally. <laughs> the basis of healthy boundaries is respect for oneself and others. Okay, I like that. Mm. Here's some unhealthy. Here's some examples from this article of unhealthy boundaries. Oh, okay. That we probably already Let's discussed. See. Impulsive behavior, especially in relationships. I'm okay with that one. Ignoring personal values to make someone else happy. Mm. Belittling others for their beliefs or emotions. Belittling yourself. Okay. Attempting to force personal beliefs on others. Uh, Allowing others to tell you who and what you should be. And not allowing others to take responsibility for their own feelings. So Um, is that a test? Like, do you get a certain number of points depending on which... I don't know if I understand this completely. What does that mean? Uh, unhealthy boundaries include impulsive behavior. So what does that mean? Like your friend or partner is being impulsive and you don't. Or you are you impulsive, impulsive in a relationship. Drugs and alcohol. Yeah. So, so, but why is that a boundary thing? I don't understand this. Well, because someone else's behavior, if they're impulsive, especially if they're in a family system, uh, often isn't agreed upon by all parties. I see. All right. So like somebody's just going off, going, doing something and you go along with it maybe because, but you haven't sure. agreed to it. Um, yeah, I, this is a, this is interesting. Respect. This article talks a lot about self-respect and boundaries and it seems obvious, but it's not something that I really thought about, but you know, um, I'm setting more healthy boundaries today because I respect myself more than I used to. Um, one thing that uh, that came up recently, the owner of the company I work for is actually a clinical psychologist. And occasionally we get into discussions about these types of things. And he said something I hadn't considered, which um, really rang true with me. We were talking about boundaries because he goes on. I'm like his therapist now. He goes on and on about his girlfriend. <laughs> That's weird. It is. It's very weird. He, oh my god. Yeah, he even li- lies down on the couch. There's a couch. Can you in my imagine office. you go in like the cat, like a Soprano yeah. style, and it's it's fucking that. Like, yeah. Can you imagine? I'm a psychologist, but he said something to me because I said, "Oh, I have trouble with boundaries." And he goes, "You know, that means you're not." being honest he said he's also got the bedside manner of a professional wrestler i don't know how he's in business but he says you're not being honest when you when you're not setting boundaries you know the way you want them because i'm not telling that person or communicating that i don't really want to do that thing you're you want me to do i'm doing something against my own will i'm unhappy doing it but my action is lying to that person because i'm doing it that's true I, I don't right. Think- well, and I'm not telling them where the bar is. Right. So, so it, we have all these high expectations me. for people. But if I don't tell you, Nat, where the bar is, then I'm not allowing you to reach it. Right. So that was an interesting like, angle. I hadn't, you know, I'm not being, he put it on me. He's like, you're not being honest. It's a, it's a little. And everything needs to come back to us. You yeah. know, we put a lot and that's codependency, right? We put a lot of stock in someone else's behavior dictating ours. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, whatever you say next, I can choose whether to react or not. Yeah. It's a, it's a little depressing to realize that if you, if you don't tell people where, what your limits are, they'll just keep blowing right through them, you know, and taking well, and, and taking and taking. <laughs> it's not everybody. You know? though, right? But I, as somebody who has both been a codependent and an alcoholic and addict, I can say that I have definitely benefited in my life from someone else's boundaries not being that great. Uh, Me too. Right. You know? <laughs> true, and I have very to, true. Like, gravitate, you know, people don't end up together by accident. Usually yeah. we're gravitating to the, someone who needs, who has this soul wound and someone who has this addiction. Mm-hmm. 
and they have this person that they, you know, we can, it's really an addiction to people. And I think it's harder to treat because alcohol and drugs, I can reasonably say that I don't have any reason to ever be in contact with. Right. Like I'm abstinent. I'm abstinent. I don't, I don't buy it. I don't get it. I mean, if you're addicted to people, like <laughs> people everywhere, <laughs> you've got like, your, how do you live with that? You can't, it's like food. You can't, I was about not, to say, it reminds me of a food addiction. You have to eat, right? Well, and on the flip side, the, if the opposite of addiction is connection, then you, you need people, right? But you need you, them in you, a healthy You can be addicted to them, but you, you still need them. You need, yeah, you need them in a healthy way. way. Yes. Yeah. I mean, interdependence is a whole other thing. You know, it's it's kind of like the difference between dependency and addiction. Mm -hmm. You know, interdependence is is something that, uh, you know, is healthy in a relationship. And, it you know, one person is doing their transaction on their side and you're doing, you know, that's uh, we just get kind of off track sometimes um, with becoming fixated if you're someone like us maybe who would maybe disappear for a couple of days or do some questionable thing <laughs> you know i mean you know you have to kind of start to heal that wound mm. yeah there's been some blowback i've noticed in the recovery community lately like for a long time we sort of deified, you know, like the Dr. Drew intervention, like all of that thing where you would watch these interventions and they would tell the family, you have to cut them off if they don't do this. And, you know, really putting that hard boundary and, and calling codependency, like like you said, like a disease that you were just stopped short of. And I forget what we were just reading, but I'm seeing more and more um, writers and thinkers and kind of coming out and saying, you know what, like... I don't know. And they're really some vitriol against Dr. Drew, which is interesting that I don't completely follow because I, I like the guy and um, I don't know. I don't, maybe you can explain that why there's this blowback about Dr. Drew lately. Like, but he, he that whole model, that intervention model is kind of being looked at now as saying like, you know, I don't know if it's the best thing to tell. Yeah, is your tough kid. love the way to go? Like, right. You know, that was really pushed. Like, even that, you know, terrible program I was in, it was tough love, right. like central. And it was just the way that psychologists were kind of dealing at that point with telling families, you know, their whole tough love movement came out of the, you know, treatment center that I was in. Like, that was kind of created mm-hmm. around that. Um, like kind of in the, I guess that started really in like seventies and eighties, the, you know, tough love, send your kids, you know, have them kidnapped in the middle of the night and yeah. taken to some farm in Utah for two years. You know, I think it was but, Evan Haynes that was, well, talking but, but, it, that, but right? it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's, it's ineffective. It's cruel. I mean, you contrast that with the, you know, what Aloe Recovery and Evan Haynes group is doing now with this whole Carl Rogers approach to therapy, which is unconditional positive regard and just compassionate uh, support. You know, it's I think it's a little trickier to work that way because you have to be conscious of of where you are putting boundaries and and how you're negotiating that because you, you can have unconditional positive regard for someone and then they can just burn down your rehab because there, you know, they, right. there's no like rules, you know, you know so, yeah. right. As uh, much as I wanted that when I was first getting into recovery, <laughs> I would have taken it. I mean, I was taking advantage of every inch I could find mm-hmm. when I was in these, you know, rehabs and things. But maybe it's because they put me in that role and then I just sort of lived up to it. 
I mean, I don't well, know. It, it goes both ways. That's why it's co, right? And so, you know, it's not one person necessarily is the codependent. You can have a codependent relationship. And I think, you know, you're either an addict or you're a codependent. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> fall into those two categories. Um, you know, I don't know. But the thing about Dr. Drew, you asked a question about Dr. Drew. Yeah, like and what's I'll the say, deal? <laughs> what's the deal with Dr. Drew? <laughs> well, I think a lot of the blowback was, you know, remember Celebrity Rehab? He was the first person to do that. Yeah. And um, uh, it, it almost felt like, is this exploitation of people? And they were all sort of people and a lot of them are dead. Yeah, <laughs> right. And that was that one of the show. things people bring up. Well, yeah. And, and did that, you know, that point in their life, they were all at that point, at least, you know, maybe they were B list, but they were definitely, you know, B and C list people who were obviously sort of desperate enough to sign up for the show because they needed the money. I mean, nobody did it just, you know. Yeah, for sure. And so it was sort of an exploitation of, of that in a way. I think that's what people feel about mm-hmm. sometimes about Dr. Drew and sometimes he, He's not anti-MAT, though, is he? I didn't... He is not... He doesn't love it. Okay. Um, he doesn't love it. And I understand it. I, you know, I don't... Um, I don't not respect people that have that position. I just think that he sort of got on that tough love track. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people, especially people in recovery, could see what really felt like exploitation. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. I mean, when you were just sobering up, could you have understood the implications of signing a contract to put your face on TV in front of like millions of people? I I think it's medical malpractice. You should probably lose his license. Maybe we should get him on the show. There we go. (laughs) I mean, we're going to get, we're going to need attorneys next week. (laughs) We're getting him on the show. As soon as, you know, we'll get Bob Forrest next and then we'll work our way to, wait, was Bob Forrest involved with, with that? Yeah, sure. How, how on earth? He was like the lead counselor. Yeah, man. How on earth? He must've gotten paid a shitload of money Sure, because it completely seems to go completely completely against the values of everything they do at their recovery. Well, you have to, you have to remember that that model of recovery was the gold standard, right? I mean, this was, was what everyone expected. gold standard though. You know, so thank God we're in a place now where things are getting a little more touchy feely and a little bit more realistic as far as, but um, I, I want to know, you know, looking at some of those intervention episodes and they're making those bottom lines and they're being pushed to be like, you'll never talk to them again. But like, what is the alternative to that? Like, should they continue to pay the cell phone bill? Should they continue to let them stay in the house? Like, where's the, the middle ground? Where's the realistic middle ground that we can strike? I mean, I is that- mean it, that's, that's the question, right? right? That's why this topic in general is very like vague, right? Yeah. Boundaries and code. Mm-hmm. It, it feels That's very why we picked it. <laughs> as Alan Watts would call it. It's mm. a little wiggly. Like, yeah. you know, it's not even as clear as some of the addiction uh you know, ideals or, or literature, but it's just a feeling, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> you know, it just is a, you, you feel it, you know, when you see it. Um, yeah. So it's hard to define that, but you know, I, I would say that, you know, any work I do on myself involving being more honest with myself is going to pay off in my relationships, mm-hmm. you know, and, and true intimacy allows someone closer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and so we set a boundary because if they come into where, you know, as far as our safe place, whatever that is, and don't intrude any further, then that builds a trust. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and, but we have to, you know, we have to say where the bar is, you know, I don't like to set people up to fail. Yeah. Yeah. We have to be realistic. And, and just thinking back on, you know, when I was going through the worst of my addiction, you know, I could tell my wife was struggling with just where to draw the line. And, um, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm just grateful she didn't like completely throw, I mean, but there was a few times, you know, I got kicked out of rehab a couple of times and, you know, had to go to jail once, you know, and every time I came back, it was, you can't come back home. You know what I mean? And she set that boundary, like you've crossed this boundary. You're living with your parents. Thank God I had a, my parents house to crash at. Yeah, but I yeah, wonder. It sound like she was like done with your shit. Oh, completely. She's still done with <laughs> she my shit. Over I'm, it. I'm still, I'm still working on that, you know, but like, w- would it have been, you know, would it have been better for me if the very first time she was literally like, um, we're getting a divorce. You're not living here anymore. <laughs> like, I don't think so. I think part of the reason I was able to recover as I did was because, you know, she could have been more loving and accepting, of course, but I don't know, like she took But you back. wanted to have your family. You, right. you know, that, that served as an incentive. Do I think we can get sober for someone else? No, but I do think there's nothing wrong with our families or preserving our careers, whatever it is that we want to preserve. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, because you're so, you know, out of it or just I'll speak for myself. I mean, I was not seeing it's an understatement to say I wasn't seeing clearly, you know, yeah. what was really important. And it really took, I don't know when I finally I, I came to those realizations, but some of it was the outside, you know, dealing with the courts, dealing with, you know, these forced rehabs, dealing with the fact that my life had gone from I was doing great to now I am taking a train to probation you know, and walking four blocks. <laughs> the ankle monitor and my blow and go. And I, yeah, I, I had it all, all of that. When yeah. I still had a license, I had the blow and go. Right. I was going to say that was until you no longer had a license. It, right? You know, like things kept getting progressively worse. So, I mean, would I have ever, you know, gotten better if these things didn't start to peel away? I mean, I don't, know. I don't know. It's kind of funny when I picture, I was just thinking if I ever saw any of my friends whose dad had like a blow and go, like, it's so weird to think about like the grownups that we had growing up. Like just, <laughs> can you imagine being like, Oh yeah. So-and-so's dad, you know, he has to blow into this thing in his truck. Like, oh, it's so demoralizing. Train wrecks the way we are, they weren't showing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean I, I'd be remiss if I didn't note that, that certain positive outcomes can, a lot of it can be laid on the feet of the support structure that you have at home. I mean, you had a place to go when your wife said, don't come home. Like, thankfully, what if you got thrown out of the house? You ended up living on Skid Row. I mean, the, uh, would I have just gotten higher? Or you'd would probably I have been be like, dead. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, be, yeah. studies consistently show that people have better outcomes the earlier uh, that their um, uh, addictions are addressed, and if they have uh, loving support of, of a family, and yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. So I mean, I it's- mean that's why my whole job exists because the company I work for, which I won't name, but they they really believe that that is a, a an important statistic. Yeah. You know, that people just they do better. Their outcomes are better. You know, they their prognosis is better. It doesn't matter what the support system is. It could be your spouse. It could be your sponsor. It could be, you know, your adult children or, or whatever. But, you know, part of, part of what I do is educate them. The first thing I talk about is that addiction is a brain disease that, you know, that this is, there's, there's a biological, um, you know, reason for it. It's not just them feeling like being assholes. Right. Mm -hmm. We're not just (laughs) sinful people. (laughs) 
Yeah. And honestly, sometimes even that builds compassion in a way that you don't, you know, that's hard to quantify. I mean, really, it, it really just to say that to people, I'm surprised still every time someone is surprised by that information. That it's, that it's actually physiological and, you know, there's yeah, more and to almost that. set free by that, you mm-hmm. know, almost set free by that feeling like, you know, okay, so it's not something necessarily I did or, you know, that it's, it's something in that person. How do you handle the question that inevitably comes up where you say, this is a, a disease and the person says, no. I had cancer. That's disease. It's quantifiable. It's treatable with medicine there. You know, this is not a disease. This is a choice. Yeah. Where do you, how do you, I know I'm giving you all the hard questions, but no, you it's have good. to get that I, You one. know, I'm envisioning this, right? I'm thinking about what if I was on one of these video conferences with a family and they yeah. were like, you know, fuck you and your brain disease. Yeah. Um, it ain't no disease. He's choosing <laughs> guess, to you know, pick it up. I would take that in. I mean, all I can do, I, I, you know, I still need to hold space, even if somebody doesn't believe what we have in scientific, you know, documentation, um, whatever, I can still do what I need to do beyond that. They, you know, that, that empathy helps, Mm -hmm. but sometimes the other information is valuable regardless of whether you, you know, that's kind of one of the first things we talk about. Right. So it's kind of the gate to the rest of the stuff, but the gate isn't necessarily locked if they don't believe in that part. And the answer is complicated too. And that's the truth of it. Like you want to say, it's not a disease, disease, but But, I I don't think it matters whether it's a disease or not. And I don't think your only choices are it's a disease or it's a choice. Right. I think, well, that's right. It's more complicated. Addiction as a maladaptive uh, response to trauma. But then you have you know? to define what maladaptive means to the people you're trying to help. Well, that, instead of like going to a therapist and unwinding your problems, you 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 drown them in alcohol and drugs to crack. yeah, or to avoid having to deal with the underlying issues. Now, so that so is it a mental health disease? Yeah, okay, sure, you could define it that way. I don't th- see why there's any difference to begin with between mental health treatment and physical treatment for of a tr- physical yeah. disease in this country, and maybe that's. That's the area that we should be looking at. Um, you know, I think, are there structural changes in the brain after, you know, a certain time of using that makes, uh, that screws with the dopamine yeah. system and makes you more likely Paratonin to use again? Dopamine. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. But, but it didn't start that way. Right. So you have to look at it from multiple angles. It's not like being born with, you know, a disease, but we do know about, you know, epigenetics and we do know about like family That's histories. Trauma. That's trauma coming, coming through it's generations. all part of it. And then you start to drink or use and then your brain does change. And especially with, with hair, well, I guess with anything, but then you do become physically dependent and it does change yeah. your brain. Like just like they talk about the rat who hits the, uh, the cocaine knob until he dies because he's now put using above uh, eating, drinking, and sleeping. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know. and he didn't have childhood trauma. He's a, re- you know, right. like, it, it, well, we but I understand. Do, I understand the childhood trauma. Do we know is. that? I mean, well, I mean <laughs> I'm going to presume that uh, grew up in a that lab. rat was well taken care of until yeah. it was but given. Rats are not months. people, though. People are infinitely more complicated than rats. Says you. Well, yes. <laughs> I'm just saying that even they are going to keep going back for that brain reward, you know. Sure, I keep, um, you know, give, give me some crack, uh, you know, one time. I'm going to go back every time. I'm going to press the lever every single time, hmm. you know. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it's a disease. <laughs> or does Yeah, no, it? I get it. I mean, this goes into a whole other. Yeah, I know. We don't, I, I'm afraid we don't have time to it, debate the. 
Uh, yeah, I could go on and on, but I'll say, I'll, I'll ask you guys and I'll ask our listeners if you've ever seen that documentary called Addiction. It's like an HBO documentary. It's not recent anymore, but it's like a series. Like it, when you bought it, it was like a bunch of DVDs. But it's if you stream it on HBO or wherever, um, it's called Addiction. There's one, you know, they're dedicated the different volumes to like different parts of recovery. Um, and one of them is the neuroscience. Oh, yeah, I saw that. And, you know, where they have the dude and I'm just paraphrasing, I'm not probably even saying all the things that are part of this, but they had this dude where they were brain scanning him and they were showing these images. It was like the Willy Wonka, you know, boat ride. It was, you know, they kept sort right. of switching images <laughs> back and forth. And um, the ones that depicted alcohol or drug use, even if they they were like half a second, you could see different parts of the brain lighting up. Mm-hmm. I think we got to get Mike to watch. We should watch this and then see how you feel because Aaron and I have probably been in these recovery scenarios where we've been made to read this stuff and look at the studies and, you know, hear no, the speakers. I've, I've done some research on it. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm not convinced, I, you know. Amy Dresner yeah. does a lot of, um, you know, she's done a lot of articles on neuroscience and she's got a buddy. <laughs> I mean, um, okay. I mean, she's not a neuroscientist though, right? No, I mean, she's not. She's not. <laughs> she, you know, there's a, there's a doctor that she um, cites a lot of his work work he's an addiction specialist but um she's a journalist like maya slalovitz yeah she's got a niche everyone's got a niche right, right? but amy um kind of went in this direction I of like neuroscience it. and kind of breaking that down in lay terms for someone like uh, you know make it consumable mm-hmm. um i love so, amy dresner she's yeah i mean face. anything you can relate more to like it was this it's a smart thing because you're getting this complicated scientific um, these facts from somebody who's pretty hip and cool and, you know, with it and explaining it in a way that it makes sense to us. But that doctor, his name is, um, I believe it's Howard West Westman. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, he is prolific at this, you know, addiction studies. And I'll, I'll definitely take I a look. I think this sure. is worth I mean, exploring of course, more of course. on the next edition of Get Smart. Oh, for sure. Um, I, you know, and I don't even think it has to be a debate. I think that no. it is. We all see that it's complicated and there are different layers. And I want to talk about that. There's so much to learn um, on. Layer cake, you know. Um, so should we make any final statements about codependency and boundaries before we sign off oh my motto is you know what are you gonna do um <laughs> that's that could be the motto of this whole podcast should have been the name of this podcast <laughs> what are you gonna do what are you gonna do <laughs> we yeah. can change that should be the segment what are you gonna do with our get off my lawn yeah. Um, yeah i'll just say that you know we all deserve to be honest with ourselves and other people we deserve to have relationships that are more than just transactional yes agreed you know so what we get and what we give and what we get should be about equal. And that's, you know, just that. Good luck. And you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes. <laughs> but if you try sometimes. You just might find. You get what you need. You get what you need. I mean, it happens. Oh, yeah. It does. Well, thank you so much, Erin. <laughs> and for all you monsters out there listening, um, you can find her on the Inner Sanctum uh, Discord uh, discussion group and on the Facebook group, the private Facebook group. And fallingphoenix.com is Erin's yeah, prolific blog. blog about her experiences at the Phoenix House. That is really, really well written and interesting as hell. Also scary. Um, oh, so scary as hell. Out. Yeah, right. Um, look on, if you go to TikTok, look up the hashtag therapy cult and mm. you'll find some videos I've made um, basically turning my blog into videos. Oh, cool. 
Awesome. I'll try and find that. Can you link to TikTok videos? Yeah, yeah. Like how I think old so. I am? I'll I ask my know. son how to do it, but we'll we'll <laughs> post that. <laughs> there must be a way. I'll, I'll share one of them on the group. So yeah. Okay. Great. The group and see it. Yeah, and we'll post it, and uh, that would be really cool. But thank you so much, Aaron. It's so great to see you. Yes. I'm sorry it's been so long. Um, I like this uh, exchange I, back and forth where we can see you. I like looking at you. I yeah. know. It's like we're actually talking to real people. Right. It's, so next time I'm wearing makeup. Yes, me too. Yes, We're all good, but same. you look great. Thank you so much, Erin. Okay. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye. 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 <laughs> so we had so much fun with that. We're going to record the rest of the show on video as well as audio. I have to do... You look like Jordy from Star Trek, the next generation. <laughs> Captain, we are... Stardate. <laughs> right, don't touch any of the computer all right, sorry, buttons. I won't touch it. Yes, this is going to be exclusive uh, for those of you out there. We're doing the the wrap of the show. Yes. Recovering the news. Yeah! <laughs> All right! <laughs> recovering, the news, recovering, the news. See you live, man. See, this is video. Brilliant, brilliant. I don't know what to do. Are we supposed to do funny stuff? I don't know. You guys can see how skinny I've become and how um, handsome Mike is. Thank you. I've been working on my appearance for four days of not sleeping and eating whatever comes in front of me. Yeah, check out this video. We're going to post it. Are we get, do we get to put Aaron's... Um, we just finished up with Aaron. Got to ask Aaron. So um, that's a different show. Ask Aaron is on Dopey. Oh, Yeah. I don't listen to Dopey enough. Sorry, Dave. In the I do, news. but you know. Okay, so uh, we're heading over to uh, Louisiana for this one. Louisiana. Do you? Here, I'm giving it to you. I, I got it right You can there. see that? Yeah, I can see it. All right. Yeah. Farsighted. Uh, Louisiana. The Louisiana Illuminator, uh, I believe that to be a newspaper, dropped this headline on us this week that says, uh, Louisiana considers prison time for modest marijuana possession again, but... Only for minors. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on down there in the South, but uh, Louisiana lawmakers are going to put incarceration back on the table for possession of small amounts of marijuana. Interesting. Yes, but what only happened? only for children. So children can't smoke pot anymore. Only for children and teenagers under the age of 18. Doesn't That's, that sound like a good idea? I feel terrible for those teenagers. <laughs> Adults would still be able to avoid prison time if caught with marijuana, wow. uh, even for repeat offenses. I don't think they should go to jail anyway. So uh, Representative Larry Bagley, who I can imagine looks something like Boss Hogg from <laughs> Dukes of Hazzard, yeah. uh, is seeking to modify the state's sweeping marijuana decriminalization bill that was passed just last year. Mm. Uh, House Bill 700 would impose harsher penalties on children and teenagers than it would on adults. If you have 14 grams or less of marijuana in Louisiana, you cannot be fined more than $100. Hmm. Um, well, they're making more money on taxes. his proposal would allow a person under 18 convicted of possessing 14 grams or less to be incarcerated for up to 15 days in a Louisiana prison. Hmm. A you know, child. Chain gangs. That's great. All that. That's recovery um, for you. Yeah. So why do you think that they're doing this? Um, do you think that there's some... Money? Well... Something to do with money, I'm, I'm sure that's part of it, but... Um, Did something happen? But what is... Well, the reasoning is is predicated on a whole bunch of false ideas and assumptions about recovery and about marijuana, right? Gotcha. 
Now, Mr. Bagley says that the law is needed because K-12 schools in his community are unable to keep marijuana off their campuses. So it has no way to force minors into treatment through drug court without the threat of incarceration. (laughs) So I'd like to know, you know, we were just talking uh, in the main show about whether or not tough love is effective. Mm. And here we have an example of, uh, of a, of a local government uh, putting tough love into a statute and forcing kids who are smoking pot, mind you, this isn't, this doesn't have anything to do with opiates or no, they don't. alcohol or anything opiates else. Is okay, right? They can do opiates and not well, get in trouble. No, I think no. Yeah, okay, but, but um, you know, and he and he he's shocked, shocked that people would object to such a bill. He said that uh, it was presented like this bill is about trying to put people in prison. It's not, he said. Um, we're trying to rehabilitate children. Yes, this is what they're saying. This allows our courts to kind of keep them in check and put them in drug courts. No Jeez. judge is putting a kid in jail for six months for marijuana. Unless, of course, you were like one of those judges in Pennsylvania that was taking kickbacks from the, uh, the rehab slash workhouses. Uh, so for minor offenses, these Pennsylvania judges were sending these kids there for like 60-day sentences and getting kickbacks from, from the rehab and the troubled teen industry. Yeah. And it was a corrupt from the top down. And one thing I know about Louisiana courts and justice is um, corruption is endemic throughout that system. So I don't know why anybody thinks that this is a good idea. Um, Obviously, marijuana legalization advocacy organizations and left-leaning groups oppose the legislation. They suggested discipline within the school system, such as suspension, expulsion, or removal from sports teams should be used to keep marijuana off campus. We don't think criminalizing youth more harshly than adults uh, is a good idea, said Peter Robbins Brown, executive director of Louisiana Progress. Um, you know, family court judges can already mandate that guardians and parents put children in re- rehab uh, and put minors on probation. So the bill is not needed. Um, but uh, there's a fellow named Danny McCormick, who's a, a Republican from Oil City. I wonder what they do there. Mm. Um he didn't formally object to the bill moving forward in the legislative process, but he expressed reservations about the incarceration component. Oh, well, that's, that's nice. He has mm-hmm. reservations. He questioned why the offense for being caught with marijuana as a minor would be harsher than the one for being caught with alcohol. Um, if you're under 21, you can be fined $100 and lose your driver's license for up to six months, but you don't face any jail time. It doesn't make sense. Alcohol, in my opinion, says Mr. McCormick from Oil City, is greatly more harmful than marijuana. That, um, you know, that actually brings me to something I texted you as I was driving and I shouldn't have done that. I thought you meant texted me as I was talking. No. um, You know, I'm listening to this book by somebody. I can't remember who. (laughs) uh, He was just on Dope. In any Uh case, um, he, in the whole book is about, he was like an insider in the um, opioid, in in the the bankruptcy proceedings Uh, for Purdue. Yes. Uh, I think it was called The Fix by Ryan Hampton. And so anyway, I, I'm, I'm just really into this book. But all of a sudden, I thought to myself, how come there, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe there has been, but why hasn't there been these kinds of public hearings and lawsuits and outrage and parents getting together? I mean, there is Mothers Against Drunk Driving, but that's mm-hmm. more about drunk driving, not about alcohol. How come we're not going after Anheuser-Busch for killing millions of people over the years for creating, you know, crowded prisons from alcohol-related violence and crime and domestic violence and children being abused. Like, shouldn't the alcohol industry as a whole 
Even if we go after one company at a time, I mean, you could go after Bud Light first and Andrew Bush. Why? Go after the ones that make the shitty beer first. Why are we going um, berserk at Purdue when we're like serving beer at Chuck E. Cheese's? Well, you know the answer to that, don't you? Yeah, I know. It's lobbyists. It's a, it's a rhetorical it's, question. It's money. It's uh, the amount of economic activity generated by the alcohol But am I industry. wrong? Or, or has I know, there you're been not wrong. I mean, lawsuits look, they're going after the gun industry right. and, and actually have been success, successfully sued the gun industry. Um, for, for producing a product and putting it into the stream of commerce that is known to be uh, harmful. So, like, I think we need to... Hey, I'll take that case. Let's do it, man. Like, the, good, the, the trouble will people. be finding a jury who doesn't who drink. isn't wasted 24-7. <laughs> or just, you know, drink it all, you know. Because most people are not teetotalers. Yeah, well... Or abstinent bunnies. As uh, Aaron would say. Quoted that term, abstinent bunnies. That's what I Abstinent bunnies. As Aaron would say, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What you going to do? What you going to do? Yeah. All right. Well, if you get the correct sound queued up, I will. Oh, is that a dig? (laughs) It's just a stage direction. (laughs) (laughs) What are we up to? Weak and weird. Uh, See? British driver reports man goat sighting. <laughs> <laughs> by who? It's a it must be a Capricorn. Who is it by? Uh, it's Tim Banal. Tim Banal. A British motorist was left scratching their head. Their should head? be should be his head. <laughs> yeah. A British okay. motorist was left scratching his head. I'll just correct it on the floor. Could have been a her head. His head. Yeah, but still it's a sexless pronoun when it's used in that context. But that's okay these days, right? True. So that maybe that's what we're dealing with here. Scratching their head when a mysterious bipedal creature that they likened to a goat man. <laughs> dashed, just like a goat man. Dashed across the road in front of their car. Recounting the bizarre encounter on a parenting forum, the bewildered witness. <laughs> so some weird shit on next door, isn't there? Uh, the bewildered witness explained that the uh, incident unfolded at about 2 a.m. this past Sunday morning as they were driving near the community of Staverton. The trip- Anybody, any of you guys live near Staverton? Want to go check out the goat man look, for us? Look for the goat man. The trip took a decidedly strange turn. They said when a, quote, something crossed the road in front of us in full headlights for about three seconds and made a distinct impression on the mystified motorist. Getting a fairly good look at the oddity, the witness described it as being about the height of a person, maybe six feet or over. Could be big. Tall person. Could be Bigfoot. Right? Or, or small foot. It'd be a smaller Bigfoot. Hmm. Bigfoot that didn't make the Bigfoot basketball team. Uh, and noted that it had short, powerful <laughs> legs and hips, which seemed... <laughs> Were they driving home from the bar, maybe? He got this in three seconds of yeah. a car. It had powerful legs and hips, which seemed to move in a circular fluid fashion. The I don't mo- know what that means. <laughs> the, mo- the motorist, who was shit-faced, went on to say that it was not a deer because it stood on two legs. And also dismissed the suggestion that the creature could have been a kangaroo. <laughs> Wait, is this Australia? Because it was most definitely a fucking kangaroo. <laughs> right? It could it's not have been a goat a, man. It's a fucking kangaroo. Could have been a kangaroo, uh, as it was much taller and upright when moving. Later, observing that it was somewhat similar to a gigantic hare. Again, kangaroo. Hare being a rabbit, but far too large for that to be the case. The driver mused that the closest we can describe it is a large man goat <laughs> on hind legs, but 
really stocky one. Stocky hind legs. Yeah. Other members of the forum have posited that perhaps the motorist encountered a Bigfoot or even the devil out for a late night stroll. But the, the, the devil, witness, huh? <laughs> the witness was skeptical about such fantastic possibilities. Oh, no. He just thought it was a goat He's like, man. you know, it could be a goat. <laughs> Not the devil. I mean, come yeah. on. Uh, despite likening the creature to a man goat... <laughs> The driver declared that it was not a kangaroo, goat man, slender man, or sasquatch. These things don't exist. Wait, kangaroos exist? <laughs> what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> As such, the motors ultimately conceded that they may have to settle on the possibility that they start spotted a startled mangy deer, hmm. since nothing so far really fits the bill. Uh, and the alternative answers might be a bit too unsettling to consider. Um, like the devil going out for a stroll. <laughs> that's unsettling. Yeah, um, the whole thing's unsettling. Or a giant rabbit is pretty unsettling, too. So It's a kangaroo. Uh, thank you, Tim Banal. And that is Week in Weird. Uh, a very special video edition that you can only watch through Maybe we should do... Patreon. You know what? what? Maybe we should do uh, Recovering the News in the Week in Weird on video every week. Uh-huh. I agree. Maybe. What do you guys think? Do you like looking at us doing this? I if mean, you'd prefer not <laughs> to see us while we're doing this, that's fine too. We should do a backdrop of some kind and make it. I could put the Egypt backdrop that Ben had. Let's do it. Let's <laughs> I'm going to do Egypt. it next time. Um, well, that about does it for today, folks. I know I had a good time. Did you? It was fucking great. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, um, Podbean, when I said that, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube. Don't and, show the notes. Sorry, Make Twitter. Make like you're not reading off. The sorry, notes. the stage manager took the night off. Uh. Uh, and Twitter. So tweet us a twat, you twit. Support your favorite show. Drop a five-star review. or guys, <laughs> the notes again. Uh, drop us <laughs> Five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I'm not used to video. I have notes, but they're over here. How did you do that? I, I don't can't know. Even... I have better eyes. All right. I'm sorry, guys. Okay, just go on. Um, buy a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a box of them upstairs. The uh, dogs have not peed on them yet, but... Guys, just close. I'm putting the notes down. I'm just going to go from the heart. We love you. Please write to us. Join us on a Facebook group. Join us on patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages for more. And finally, finally the, the best, best way, way to do to what? Sh- to help the show is, is to share it with, with a, a friend. friend. If you get something out of our little show, mm-hmm. please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non proficiat perfecto. That's progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be good.